0: What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wrapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Brucklehammer. So today, I have the pleasure of welcoming back my buddy, Chris Meckley from ACI Aquaculture. What's up there, Chris? How you doing, man? Good to see you.
1: Doing, doing great, Keith. Um, good to see you too, buddy. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a while since we've done this, and I was looking forward to it, and I'm glad you kind of pushed it up the week before.
0: Yeah, yeah, hopefully I didn't uh, throw anybody off here, but uh, I think the last time we were talking before the live stream that you and I were just doing a solo uh, live stream was back in either February or March and then we had uh, um, Mr. Jake Adams on and that was an interesting conversation. I couldn't get a word in edgewise, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding if Jake is watching there that uh, I would love to have all three of us on again to to have a great conversation, but um Just for those of you that don't don't know, um, Chris is the, uh, you know, the owner of ACI Aquaculture. They are a coral wholesaler, and he runs a business with his wife, Amanda. And how many on your staff now, uh, Chris? One, two, three, four, five.
1: Five. All right. Just five. I need more, but it's hard to find
0: what I'm looking for. Are you taking job applications again? Is that what you're doing? Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> um, you can email Amanda at ACI aquaculture or email info at ACI And, um, you know, we definitely would, uh, like to talk to some people.
0: There you go. All right. Before you and I start chatting and, and, uh, I think this is going to be an awesome conversation. I want to thank the uh, sponsors first, both Re Supply and Ecotech Marine. Appreciate them supporting the, uh, the show. I also appreciate everybody tuning in and supporting the show. And uh, if you haven't already, please hit that like button so more people can find the live stream right now. And uh, I see there's a lot of folks already uh, on the stream, and there's a lot of comments, Chris. There's a lot of there's a lot of folks uh, wanting to talk pH here tonight. So I'm, I'm sure that. Awesome. Uh, That'll be a, um, a good, topic. I don't like to
1: take up the whole thing, but you know, I'd love to definitely touch base with it. Cause I think there's a, a lot we've learned in the last year. Um, and, uh, we can enlighten people on the, uh, process and how much money it can save reefers. I know, um, reefing can tend to be somewhat of a money pit sometimes, depending on how big your tank is, depending on what you, uh, like to keep in your aquarium. If you're an SPS dominated aquarium, um, They can get quite expensive to maintain properly, and we've been – one of the things I've always had a goal um, with ACI was how how can we do this as efficiently and as cost-effectively as possible, but do it right? And the method we've been working on for the last year has been – I mean, it blows my mind what we've been able to do. Um, I'm hoping in this one video you're going to show Keith this – Should I show the –
0: you want me to show the SPS video now, or you want to – we want to get into. Oh, I think
1: them. we should do that down, down a little bit after right. we're done talking about some okay. pH. But um, what I'm getting at is if if she got the Pink Panther acro in that um video, um, I unfortunately lost our Pink Panther acro back in um June. I lost both my colonies, and it was to a very very um, <laughs> it was it was me being complacent. And, um, all reefers get complacent, but I, um, suggest that you always double check and triple check and quadruple check everything you're doing all the time. Because, uh, I had a 30 year old hydrometer that was scientifically calibrated. And I used that thing for probably five years for my, um, checking my salinity. And, um, I allowed, um, employees to start using it as well. And that was the biggest mistake I made because, um, it just so happened it got broken after five years of me using it. It didn't, you know, and it was a floating hydrometer. Most people say, why do you use that? Well, a scientifically calibrated one, if your P, if your temperature and your system is is what, you're, what it's calibrated for, those things are spot on if you have a good one. And um, well, it got broken and uh, I lost a bunch of really nice colonies because um, I used a brand new one that was purchased to replace it and being complacent. Um, like I said, I never checked it. And I figured, you know, I I don't know why I didn't. Maybe it was just because of all the rat race of running the business and everything. But um, for a few months, I was noticing some weird things happening in my systems. And it turned out that my hydrometer was so far off that I was um, running my salt level at 31.2 PPT.
0: Mm. And
1: it made me sick when I figured out what I did wrong and why I was having all these issues. And I lost some amazing corals, but luckily we're just talking about Jake. I gave Jake was infatuated with that coral when he came to my farm, um, for the first time in a long time, he just, I think he did a video on it. And, um, I gave him a piece of it and, uh, he gave it right back and, I'm so happy to have that coral back in my possession because um, I didn't think I'd get it back because I, I reached out to the whole network of people that purchased the first release of it. Back was uh, June, January of last year. And most people had just sold it off. Nobody had a big enough piece to send me a piece of it. And no. um, mm-hmm. I got it back now, and it was a little nub like this big that Jake gave me, and it's like a nice table now so it'll be back in the market probably hope well hopefully in the springtime i think in about three or four months i should be able to get a good 70 to 100 frags off the colony wow. which would be nice wow
0: yeah. that's pretty sick growth
1: growth is insane with the boosted ph so people want to talk about ph Let's... any questions in particular
0: well <clears throat> i think uh, just a general topic of ph but maybe why don't you just give a quick um you know summary in terms of what what you guys have done in terms of pH and the washer method and all that. stuff so I know a lot of folks that are tuning in probably, um, you know, know most of this stuff, but maybe a lot of folks don't know what's going on with the, you know, what you're doing with the uh, washer and the pH. So maybe just kind of give a, uh, some broad strokes in terms of the, uh, the methodology and then we can kind of dig into it a little bit more.
1: I'll start off right from the whole, you know, reason why I even looked at it was, um, you know, being in Florida here, um, it's, kind of a bonus having a farm because, um, we are in an open air environment. We don't have climate control in the farm and I would have never in my wildest dreams figured that we would have a suppressed pH in our systems. And
0: what, well, what, what, what would you define as a suppressed pH for your, uh, systems? What was, uh, what was the range before you made this change?
1: Oh, uh, it was, it would go down as low as 7.7 7 yeah,
0: and, yeah,
1: and only as high as like 8.15 and, you know, anything below 8.25 is suppressed, um, in my opinion, because the ocean really doesn't change a whole lot. And, you know, yeah, the natural seawater's world ocean average is about 8.3. Um, it used to be. And we all know because of um, the CO2 emissions and everything that we do have a suppressed pH in the, in the, in the ocean now, which is usually around 825 from what the last I heard, I could be wrong about that, but I know that I always like to thrive for an 8.25 pH or above. And I tried Calquaster years ago and I couldn't get it to work because um, I was just constantly uh, diluting my systems and I was, I was chasing my salinity then. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. So I stopped doing it. I just went back to the normal, you know, the, the, the methods that I was using, which was um, in most of my systems, a calcium reactor, which doesn't help. especially when you were running what we were running for the longest time. I mean, we were running two liters per minute at a 6.5 pH through my calcium reactors. But luckily um, one of the things that I've been called a lot um, is a problem solver. And, you know, I always try to fix things that are broken. And, you know, when you have a, you run a calcium reactor, Keith, so you understand where I'm coming from here. When you have a pH, especially at two liters a minute coming out of your calcium reactor at a 6.5 pH, it doesn't take long to start suppressing the entire 2,200 gallon system. So um, with the calcium reactors, they were just running right into my drain lines to help to maybe dissipate some of that CO2 off. But what we ended up doing was um, running the effluent of the calcium reactor all the way into the top of the protein skimmer and then ran a hard line down into the water column of the protein skimmer. So that way, the protein skimmers could scrub off the c o two and um, yeah you
0: know i um on your advice you know I, I and i I basically copied your methodology, but I tried to do that in terms of my protein skimmer and and the um i was i ran the tube down through the uh the li- the the lid on the skimmer okay. down That's into the bottom but it was um it, it it impacted the skimming and so i i don't think it you was did? yeah it was it was not skimming like it had been before so i okay. um, i basically and now, dripping the um the effluent right in front of the intake of the pump yeah. it's, on, the it's, same on, it's thing. yeah it's on the outside of my skimmer, yeah. so it's probably just dependent in terms of what kind of skimmer you have and yeah, um, well
1: we have these big commercial
0: skimmers you've seen them yeah. and it,
1: i can I can understand where that might be something I never thought about for a mm-hmm. hobbyist that I'm telling to do this you know there there's there's always a way you know I mean my method because of the scale that we're on it's probably not going to work for a lot of hobbyists because of the equipment sizes but um right you know like what you did you you solved the problem you know you you put it on and and that's exactly what um i had another uh hobbyist that reached out to me to try to get his ph up and he was having he couldn't do what i what i recommended so he said well why shouldn't why can't i just run it into the intake of the of the pump feed and the skimmer and i said that'll work exactly the same Um, just so it's not going throughout your system with that suppressed pH, because what a lot of people don't know is, is, um, you know, people talk about putting a CO2 scrubber on their tank. And and I, I'm just like, what most people don't realize is your, your protein skimmer is your CO2 scrubber. Um, it does not add oxygen to your water. It's been proven I've had, um, the labs out here with their with their um, O2 sensors and reading the with with a protein skimmer on and without a protein skimmer on and the oxygen levels were no different. Hmm. What was different was the CO2. When we turned on the protein skimmers and let them run for a half an hour and then checked the CO2 levels, they had been reduced significantly. And. Um, so that's, that's something that is, is very important, I think, that, should, that people need to know is don't think your protein skimmer, skimmer is going to add oxygen to your water. It's not. It's just going to scrub the CO2 out of your water, which is going to help with your pH. So it's, it's very important to have a protein skimmer on your tank, even if you don't need it to remove your nutrients, because you can open up your protein skimmers. Um, like we have big gate valves on ours with two-inch lines running out of it. Um, on smaller skimmers, honestly, I don't know much about them if they have gate valves or what they do to to build the water volume in the body of the skimmer. But you could actually just open that up completely so that the water level is as low as possible. You'll still do some skimming, but it'll be such a dry skimmate and you'll remove very little of the nutrients um unless it builds up on the walls of the skimmer. But um, mm-hmm. it's very important to have a protein skimmer on your tank just for the CO2 scrubbing aspect of it, even if you don't need it to remove nutrients. Um So we had such a suppressed pH that I, I knew it was a big part of the reason why my proteins or not my proteins here. My calcium reactor had to be run so hard. Um, I mean, we were melting 20 kilos of two little fishes reborn every month to month and a half, two 20 pound bottles of CO2, again, 20 liters or two liters a minute going through the, through the reactor. And, um, I'm like, there's, there's gotta be a better way. And I'm talking, I talked to Julian sprung and he's just like, you're, you're, you're doing that much. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and and nobody could really come up with a good solution to the, to my problem. The only pr- thing that I could come up with is I needed a bigger calcium reactor. And I'm like, but wait a minute, this things rated for 5,000 gallons. Why am I going to put a bigger calcium reactor on the system? It's only 2,200 gallons. So yeah. then, you know, I had to start looking into why is my pH so suppressed? And I came up with um, the only thing that makes any sense to me and to all the scientists and biologists. And I have a friend who's a physicist who runs reef labs. I mean, all these people are just like, um, I I don't know. I mean, you know, it's got to be the biomass in your system. You have 2,200-gallon systems, but who has this much damn coral in a system that big? You know, square inches, there's not a square inch in my tank that doesn't have corals. You saw it. I mean – my sons Wall are to full, wall. The walls are full. <laughs> wall to wall. You know. Hey, so, we got
0: Jake in the house here. So, uh, what's happened there, Jake? Jake?
1: So it was. Um, oh, by the
0: way, Jake, uh, I don't know if you, you, you missed it, but uh, Chris was talking about you did him a solid with the pig panther, frag.
1: He did, man. That's the reefers code, man, and uh, I respect that more than you know more than anything. You know, that's something that Jake and I have a good thing going back and forth with. You know, he's got pieces of stuff that you know, if I lose it, he'll send it back, and vice versa. Um, you know, it's how it used to be back in the day when I was uh, when I first started reefing. It was trade this, trade that. That way, if mine dies, you, you know, we you, can need, get a you need a it
0: back. you need a bank. You need a bank. Exactly. You need a bank. Exactly. Hey, Mike Johnson. Thank you very much for that uh, super chat. Their comment is thanks for all the great streams. Happy holidays, all. Yes. Same to you all as well.
1: Same to you. Yes. So the biomass was my problem. And I, I attribute that to the addiction that I have for more and more corals. <laughs> and, you know, my coral bank is, uh, our coral bank, I should say, is is becoming quite large. Um, I really can't wait to hear what Amanda's got to say when she's get done doing inventory of the farm on Monday. Because I know... Three years ago we two years ago we did inventory there was 1350 different color morphs you know there's a lot of the same species but different color morphs and different types of coral on the farm and that was two years ago so um the farm is now quadrupled in size and it's getting pretty full so i keep putting pieces back every shipment so the biomass isn't going to change um and
0: I think, you, so need, I I think to, you need a bigger boat there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's been in the works for a long time. It's um, it's not easy to find what I need here in Florida to build a facility that I want. And um, the, it's I found the right piece of land, but now it's just not going to happen because the lady, um, her, 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 her kids uh, took over. And uh, she offered it to me when it was a very bad time in my business. We had just moved into the farm. And I signed a lease and I'm like, I can't purchase a piece of land at the same time. Mm. I do have to give her a call though, and see if she's uh, still, still up for it. Because if that's the case, it's only a half a mile down the road from where I am right now. That's a
0: hot skip and a jump.
1: It would be amazing. (laughs) I mean, it's five acres to build a 30,000 square foot farm, not wholesale, just farm. Wow. That's what I want. Wow. And it's still not going to be big enough, Keith. I mean, really it isn't. (laughs) Problem is, is I, I need to find enough people that can actually help me yeah. manage and run the yeah. place. You know, I mean, we've only got five people running ACI right now and we we manage, we get by. Um, but um, if I had a few more people that had the kind of passion that I have, I've got a great crew right now. Don't get me wrong. I love my crew. They do an amazing job. Uh, they're loyal. They show up to work. But I need somebody that has more experience especially with if you can keep an SPS coral you should be able to keep most other corals as well um unfortunately for my case I can't keep soft corals (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why um but it it is what it is um but yeah that would be an amazing um accomplishment for um the whole kind of legacy of ACI and how it began from the little ten thousand dollar loan from the discover card to where we are today that's amazing man
0: that's awesome. Hey, um, just want to shout out to Jake. Thanks, man, for the super chat. His comment is talk more about the reefers code. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk about well,
1: that. Definitely have to touch base on the reefers code because it is something that has been forgotten in this industry. And Jake and I talk about it. I mean, we don't really talk about it, but we talk about it. You know, it's not like we're not like flat out come out and saying reefers code. It's Hey, I'm going to hook you up with this, you know, and I know what that means when I talk to Jake, you know, if, if he's going to hook me up with a piece of coral, it's because he loves that coral and it might not be the most attractive coral in the world, but he knows I have it, I'll take care of it. And he's going to as well. And if something weird happens to one of us, you know, we can give it back to each other. And, yeah, you know, that, that's a very important part of reefing that has, um, unfortunately somewhat not all gone by the wayside a
0: little bit. Yeah,
1: it has, it has. So back to the whole pH thing, you know, it's with calcwasser. it's a very simple, easy process. Um, it doesn't have to be difficult and I want to clear something up right here before we continue. I keep saying, boost your pH. I mean, boost your suppressed pH. I guess I should have worded it differently. I've had some people telling me that they're boosting their pH to like 9.2. And I'm like, what are you crazy? I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you're playing with fire. Um, I got people telling me they're dosing caulk slurry. Well, that's playing with fire. Um, it might work for a while, but you're going to have a crash. It's going to be a bad crash. You're going to lose everything. Why is I've that? Uh,
0: why is that, Chris?
1: Well, because undissolved it's, it's, caulk it's, wasser, too
0: po- it's too potent. Is that why?
1: No, no, not at all. It's it's <clears> you know you can only dissolve so much calc wasser in in RO water. It's a divalent cation, which makes it very insoluble in water. Um, I also use monovalent cations like like potassium hydroxide and sodium hydroxide, but I don't recommend anybody do that on a hobbyist level. You don't need to on my level with ACI because of the biomass and the water volume we're using. You know, we're we're talking one drop every three seconds. I think I mentioned this on the last the last time we did the chat, and you know, I had some people tell me, "Oh, I'm dosing caulk slurry now, and it's boosting my pH to 9.2." I said. Playing with fire, I want nothing to do with it, and I didn't talk to the guy anymore. I don't know how his tank's doing now. I hope he's okay. I hope he didn't run into problems, but if you dissolve – if you send a, a caulk slurry through your doser and all you're doing is putting undissolved washer into your water or into your into your aquarium, so what that ends up doing is binding up in all the pores and crevices of your rock. Um, it can clump in low water volume or low water flow areas. And it's going to, it's going to eventually start to dissolve and it's going to be a major headache and a major issue, or it's going to completely bind up your rock to make it basically, basically worthless for, you know, what it's meant to be there for. And, I had um, one person that did mention to me that he was doing the slurry thing and he regretted ever doing it. I told him not to. He did it and he did have a full tank crash. He lost every SPS coral in his mm. aquarium. The only thing that lived out of the whole batch was zoanthids and it's very unfortunate. And now he listens to everything I say exactly to the T because you can boost your suppressed pH by just using kalkwasser if you put it on a dosing pump and you dose it and at nighttime. Opposite of your photo period. And you need to be able to dose exactly what your water or your system evaporates on a daily basis. And you want that all to go in your tank at nighttime. Everybody says, well, what about my, what about my salinity is going to fall, you know, in the wild. The salinity is not consistent in every aspect of every reef environment. You have rivers flowing in, you have rain hitting them. I mean, there's so many different. You know, that tiny little bit of fluctuation in your pH when you dose your full evaporation amount overnight during the day, it catches up. And I mean, as long you as you it.
0: as long as you can kind of just uh, you know repeat that pattern day after exactly. day after day consistency consistency, right? Steady exactly. as a rock whether it's, you know, um a spike here or there or whatever parameter as long as you're repeating it then um you know the, the tank is going to be fine.
1: Exactly. And the corals won't care. They don't care at all. I mean, you know, the corals can go through so much more than what people think they can th- go through, especially after the dive I had in Bali when I was I dove down to like 30 feet of water to see these monster heads of Goniopora growing and it was like I swear it felt like it was only 70 degree water down there. And when I got back to the surface, it was like, ooh, (laughs) it was like 80 (laughs) degrees, you know? So, you know, temperature swings, honestly, it's a myth in my opinion. Um, Acclimating corals is a myth in my opinion. Um, It's not necessary. uh, Say
0: say that again. So acclimating corals, are you talking about uh, SPS, no need to acclimate um, a a new frag or coral to the conditions of the tank it's going into no
1: no need no need i'm a perfect example is i bring in thousands of corals sometimes on a weekly basis um if i had to sit down and acclimate every single one of those corals it'd be a 24-hour process it wouldn't it would be i'd have to figure out some way to make this huge monster vat to be able to do all this acclimation and I um, I stumbled across this about 14 years ago in my garage when I had ACI in my garage in, in its infancy. I had some, you know, I when I was importing corals, I was a hobbyist before. And our first import, we we set up these huge, you know, cement mixing batches you buy at Lowe's, the black ones, and and we had iodine dips going. And every coral came out of the bag that we imported and went into an iodine dip. And um, you know, we had a lot of losses in the very beginning, and um, it was I'm, I, I attribute it to, to the acclimation process. You know, the coral is already stressed. It doesn't need to go through any more stress. It needs to be taken out of that garbage water that it's in and put right into your aquarium in a, in a system that is healthy and that is, you know, stable. And I have – people ask me why I take a coral from this system to that system on the wild side. Like I have my two wild import systems. I'll take a coral from this tank and I'll put it in the, net, in the other system and I won't acclimate anything. And I, when I had walk-ins coming in, customers are like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, what do you mean why am I doing that? Hmm. I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's,
0: and that, it's, that's 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 nature to me. That's LPS, too.
1: LPS, SPS. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, it's, 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 uh, I mean, Jake will even contribute to that. I mean, it's a myth. You don't no, I know he's, acclimate he, your corals.
0: Yeah, he's talked about that. So, not even temperature, not even if, no. um, interesting.
1: Not at all. I mean, the reason why I know for a fact that it's it's not something that is a is an issue is because of importing. You know, I get shipments in that are in the winter time, and you know, we got a four hour drive back from Miami. You know yeah, we have a climate controlled van, but it sits in Miami for five hours, six hours. And I remember when it was freezing temperatures in Miami the one time, and we got back. I got back with a shipment. This was January tenth, two thousand ten. We had. 13 straight nights of frost here in uh, in Plant City in Miami. I drove down, and there was frost on Alligator Alley, and the alligators were piled on top of each other, <laughs> trying to get that every <laughs> bit of sunlight they could get to warm up. Um, but when I got back with that shipment, that shipment, we checked the temperature. It was 68 degrees, and that's on the cooler side. Most of our shipments come in. Our guys are so good that the temperature's usually in the you know, mid-70s, um, never in the 80s, um, but sometimes in the 60s. And I just uh, I just took those corals straight out of that cold water and put them straight into my system, and they react really well to it. And when I stopped doing the acclimation, it was a freak thing that happened. I had I was in the middle of unpacking a shipment. Something happened. I had to leave, so I said, "Let's just get all the corals out and get them in the system." And we did. And my DOAs were less. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. So I'm putting these things through this dip method to to prevent DOAs, and all I'm doing is stressing them out more. I lost more corals, so I stopped doing the dip, except for on certain corals that I was always so nervous about. And then yeah. when I realized that they didn't even need that, I just I, – I gave up on acclimating corals all around, and I said – I tell everybody, don't acclimate your corals. If you get them from here, if you want to do a, uh, a dip on them, I respect that. But take water from your system, take the corals out of my water, put them directly into your water and add your dip, go through the process, put them straight back into your system or into your quarantine system and you will have better success. The corals will won't stress as much.
0: Um, yeah. Jake, uh, a couple comments here. Jake is saying corals are self acclimating organisms. And Patrick Jewell is saying corals live in tide pools and experience huge shifts in temperature and pH.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, in a lagoon, in a lagoon when you have the tide going out and that lagoon is at the shallowest point and the waves are crashing over the crest and that little bit of water from the open ocean's coming into that lagoon. Well, that lagoon could only be four feet deep, three, four feet deep. I mean, the sun's very powerful, as we all know, and that water warms up quite quickly. And I've been in lagoons over in Bali that you know, you walk into them and they're just it's like, wow, I can't believe how warm the water is. And it is what it is.
0: So, all right, man. Let's um, let's get back to this pH conversation because I see some comments in here, and and um, one of these comments from um, Wall Street Bets. That's an interesting. That's an interesting screen name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the comment man. is: I ru- I just run my caulk reactor in line with my ATO, so it's dosing about five gallons a day almost. So let's let's talk about that, man. Because I was doing that, I was running a caulk, uh, reactor, and I had it in line with my ATO, and and you, Chris, said. I got a much better way for you my friend and uh, that, uh, that way was uh, essentially using a drum, right? Not stirring the cockwasser in that drum and um, just having it fed by a doser into the tank. So it was not in line with the uh, the ATO and what you told me is that uh, that's really diluting the washer solution if you have it in line with your ATO, correct? It is,
1: it is. Um your washer solution that you have that's in the mixing vessel that you're using, like I said earlier, um, only so much kalkwasser will dissolve in water and then you'll have settlement. So I understand the concept of a stir I just don't believe in it um, because there's too many possibilities for variables to mess up the process because if you have water from your ATO going into your – or from your caulk stirrer going into your for auto top off and then you have a feed line feeding that caulk stirrer and your caulk stirrer doesn't stir every 10 15 20 minutes which then and i'll get into the reason why you don't want that to happen as well you're diluting your caulk washer because the what's settled at the bottom is not being stirred up into the column again to dissolve and maximum concentrate that ro water so the easiest way to dose kalkwasser, geez, you can back me up on this. I know uh, Jake and I still go back and forth a little bit on it, but um, it. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you take your mixing vessel and you read the directions of the kalkwasser that you're using. I only use one brand. It's um, Reef Blueprints by Captivate Aquaculture. I know where it comes from. I know how the meticulous testing that is done to make sure it's as pure as possible. It's not food grade. It's not pharmaceutical grade. It's farther above that because of the impurities that you can find in Kalkwasser. Um, and we can get into that more then too. But um, if you mix up calcwasser and the and the instructions on the Kalkwasser tell you how much, how many grams can be dissolved in one gallon of water right. completely right. at maximum concentration. If you put that many grams in that one gallon of water, stir it up and let it dissolve and let it settle down, you might get a tiny bit of settlement, settlement. Your pH should read at between 12.4 and 12.44. That's the maximum you could ever get pH value out of a Kalkwasser solution. Um, anybody telling you they're getting higher than that, their pH pen is wrong, 100% <laughs> wrong, because that is one thing that is consistent, and it doesn't lie. And um, so we have our 55-gallon barrels that we mix up our Kalkwasser, and we have to top them off twice a week. We have about 12 to 15 gallons of evaporation on a daily basis. Summertime, it's about eight gallons. Um, so what we do is I have a two cup measuring cup. It measures out. Um, I weighed it all out to how many grams would dissolve in 55 gallons of water. And I put a mark on the, on the measuring cup. It's at the 300 um, ml line. And I dump that amount of caulkwasser into the mixing vessel.
0: So you know and, that's what the amount of caulkwasser you need to, um, to, to be saturated in that solution, that amount of um, solution. Correct. Right.
1: Correct. So when I put that in there, uh, we stir it really good. Of course, it gets all milky, and then eventually it just runs clear. Um, I always add an extra 100 mLs just because um, I don't mind the sediment at the bottom because I know then as it builds that it's one less step about every fourth fill up that we won't have to go through and add more kalkwasser to it. So we can just top them off, stir them up, check the pH. If the pH is where it needs to be, seal it up and go. So
0: uh, when, 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 So you just said um, you mentioned seal it up. And um, yes. when I was at your, um, your farm, you had this um, – it was like a plastic uh, – not a plastic a bag. Fish, a Fish bag. Fish bag. On top yeah. of the uh, on top of the drum, and that was basically to prevent any air from getting inside because that could um, right react, uh, react, react with, with the, the uh, caulk washer.
1: Exactly. So right. when you have a caulk stir, caulk stirrers are great for this aspect of it, the fact that they're sealed. Um, but they're not great when it comes down to the fact that they continuously have water coming into them, and depending on depending upon when the stirring is being done, you know, it can. Um, You know, for one, you could be dosing undissolved caulk into your system because your system's calling for water if you're doing it on an auto top off type type deal. So, to prevent ever having any undissolved caulk going into our systems, we do it this way with the 55 gallon barrel. Oh, (laughs) um, we, um, with the 55 gallon barrel. See, Amanda, Amanda threw you there. (laughs) <laughs> did Throw me there,
0: but she made a great
1: great point. I'm I'm a fidgeter. I, I, oh, you're I'm fidgeting with your here,
0: glasses there. Oh, with okay. my glasses, so she yeah.
1: stopped.
0: <laughs> All right, that's a good tip.
1: Uh, <laughs> so, the reason we use the the um, the barrels and then dissolve the calc washer once is so that we don't have to worry about the undissolved calc washer getting, for one, clogging up your dosing pump, and two, being dosed yeah. into your system, which is a accident waiting to happen down the road and this way we also then can take our I have my washer being pulled from the surface of the uh, barrel so at the full level we have a styrofoam float I put PVC legs in it so that if there is caulk sludge at the bottom that if I do dose more than normal before we do a top off that that float will then stand on the bottom and not allow my effluent line to dip into the settlement at the bottom.
0: Yeah, you know what I'm using? I have like these, um, basically I have my, um, my, my tubing, rigid tubing, hooked up to um, PVC pipe inside the barrel. And so I, I actually have four lines, uh, two going to one tank, one system, and two going to another system. And I, nice. I zip-tied the, um, you know, those uh, quarter-inch uh, you know, tubing to the PVC right yep. like four inches from the bottom. So it's, it's another, it, way to it's, do an, it. it's, it'll never get, uh, into the, um, into the, um, you know, the sediment, but yeah, yeah you know,
1: I, it's, it, it, that's another way to do it. That works just as good. Um, the reason I didn't do it that way was because, um, exactly the reason what I'm going to tell you here with my, I have one system that I have, um, that it literally only does, I only do about seven gallons, um, in the wintertime and it's about four gallons at nighttime or in the, in the summertime. So I have a smaller mixing vessel on that and, I bought this um, this RV water – potable water storage container, and that's what I use. And there's only a small hole, so I can't put the float down inside. So I put the – exactly like you did, about four inches above a PVC pipe. It runs down through the PVC yeah. pipe, comes out, so I don't want to worry about it. But it's – I'm not doing it all the time, um, and my employees are very good about it. But there's a times when they miss that it is not in the right place. Yeah, and. Yeah. You know, so uh, with the float, it's pretty much foolproof. You can't really mess that up because it's floating. <laughs> as long as the the PVC pipe doesn't fall out of the out of the float, you know, and sinks at the bottom, we're good. We're in good shape. So um, it just helped make sure that it kept things easier for employees that are busy. And I understand that. And you know, sometimes again, everybody gets complacent at times. And um, it's one thing most people don't get complacent with me on, is because they know how anal I am about my coral systems and about everything <laughs> that goes into them, and they don't want to make me mad. <laughs> no, they don't want
0: to mess with you, Chris, about that stuff. No, for sure. It's about
1: the animals, man. It's all about the animals. That's what I. That's what I always tell them. Don't, how, don't, um, don't take this.
0: Yeah, no, that's you know, that's your <laughs> livelihood, dude. So how exactly. how uh, how often are you measuring the pH inside of the um, the drums?
1: I don't measure the pH except for when we top them off, um, and with. You know, what I what I've been doing is uh, before I stopped measuring the pH every day. Um, I mean, it got so just another another thing to do, and it was basically waste of time because, you know, when you have the, the the seal at the top, the reason for that seal at the top is to allow you to um, allow air in so that you're not you know having a vacuum inside as the as the effluent leaves, but not it's it's there to not allow air to just exchange over that water that effluent all the time. Because so I have a, a
0: I basically have, you know, a polyurethane thirty gallon drum mm-hmm. and I got a polyurethane, you know, the top on top of that drum. And that's yep. it, you know. So do you think I should be fine. I should be as fine. As long right? as you
1: have well, what I always say is the hole that you have your effluent lines coming out, make sure it's tight as you can make it, but it's still gonna be loose yeah. enough where there will be air going in as water's displaced actually
0: i have uh john guest uh fitting set up on that so it's pretty airtight yeah, yeah.
1: well so you don't have any problems with the doser not being able to pull it or there's obviously air no yeah it's been more
0: somewhere if i found that the elbow was a problem so i stopped yeah. using elbows and i have a straight John guest going into it and just you know that that rigid tubing just kind of flexes around bends around a little bit and it works fine
1: but the top that you have that goes onto it, it just kind of sits down yes. over top of it. So yeah. it's not like a rubber seal keeping it no, sealed up. No, so
0: no rubber that, seal.
1: That's allowing the air into it. So as that air goes in, if you ever notice on the top of your calc um, uh, effluent, there's like a little film. Yes.
0: It's like crispy. Yeah. It's like
1: crispy. Yeah. That, that's actually the calc washer um, working with the um, the atmosphere and it's creating carbonates. So that's a little thin sheet of carbonates yeah. on the surface, and the thicker means you need to figure out a way to seal it up a little bit more. If it, I have one that's so paper thin you can still see right through it and see right to the bottom. But if you touch mm. it, you can tell. Maybe it's I there. should put
0: some weight on the lid or something.
1: Why do you have a pretty thick? You have a pretty thick. Um,
0: I, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I'd have to go check it. But I mean it's definitely there. I don't know if it's something that um easily, you know, you can
1: take a picture. I can tell you if it's
0: if it's a problem, if you should try to let less air in. But
1: I doubt it because you're you're really just letting air in. It's not like there's air going in and out of that thing all day long, um, unless you're dosing. So um but that's important, you know, you know, to keep your to keep your um holding vessel for your for your calc washer drip or dosing Keep it as sealed as you can, but you can't seal it completely unless you're using a calc stirrer. Um, Calc stirrers um, can be utilized with my method, but it's going to be hard on the dosing pump. Pulling through something that is sealed completely, it's going to eventually not work. Um, You'll have to let air into it.
0: What what about, Chris, um, we talked about this before. Maybe it was uh, not during a live stream, but in terms of the sediment, how— how long can you have the sediment in there before you really need to swap that out and get it out? And, um, you know, in terms of impurities, right? We don't want right. to be concerned about having impurities going in, th- you know, via the uh, the Kalkwasser, uh sediment. So how often do you swap out that uh, sediment or vacuum it well, out, s- let's say?
1: Well, since I know exactly um, the grading of the um, calcium hydroxide that we're using, it's um, Chris buys. Uh, USp and above grade and depending on you know where he's getting it from sometimes the higher grade which is more pure is not much different in price and he always goes with the best to make sure that he's not having to adjust pricing all the time so I know that for a fact that what I'm getting is high quality calcium hydroxide now there's two grades above but the cost of those because they're purified is it's just ridiculous I mean it would be so expensive for me to use it but I'd be getting the purest form of calcium hydroxide that I could get my hands on. But again, quadruple the cost. That doesn't make sense. If I can, like you're saying the impurities are going to be there, um, in every grade except for the highest grade, but which is not cost in, effective, right? The lower grades. Yeah. You can buy, you can, you can go and buy pickling lime for a 50 pound sack for 30 bucks somewhere. I don't recommend you do that. And here's the reason why, because you have, one of the big things we found in Kalkwasser is, um, is aluminum. It's uh, very very prevalent in, in lower grades especially. Um, it also has um, – what was it? The lower grades have a lot of cesium in, and a lot of people don't know what cesium is, and we can talk about that more here in, in the chat. Um, but cesium is a mildly radioactive um, contaminant in sodium-based salts, um, as well as it's found in a, a handful of other things that can, be, that can be raw materials that we use for our aquariums. If the raw material is lower grade, this, there's levels of all of these things are going to be higher than what you want them to be. The other thing we found out with lower grades of um, calcium hydroxide, when we finally did reach maximum concentration of the water, I said, okay, we know this is inferior quality. We know we're going to have aluminum in here. We're at maximum concentration, so we should have equivalent calcium readings to a maximum concentration of a higher grade, right? And my buddy, Gene, the physicist, is like, uh, we should. He's like, let's take a sample and test it. So take it to the lab. He sits through the ICP machine, and I, I couldn't believe what I saw. My first test with a high grade was 920 ppm of calcium. This lower grade, even though it was maximum concentrated in my water was only at 680. So with lower the grade, the less calcium, the more aluminum, the more impurities. So what you're getting at is how often do we clean out our, our mixing vessels? Because I know that what I'm getting, I only do it about once every three months. And because I've got what 655 gallon barrels to take out and clean out it's it's a it's a project especially since we've kept expanding the farm and we've kind of expanded around them so getting the vessels out is kind of a pain in the rear end so uh, we make sure we do it about every three months so and usually there's not a whole lot left in the bottom anyhow but um you know we try to make sure that we're not continuously dumping in more and more so we have this big thick sludge at the bottom because all that is going to do is just continue to build and build and build um You know, the impurities are going to probably settle mostly at the bottom, depending on the weight of them. But as long as you are aware that the settlement in your calc washer that you're using is actually, if it's of the right grading, it's still calc washer. It just didn't dissolve. And you can just continue to add water to that as you're topping it off until it completely dissolves, or you just have a minor amount of settlement. And then... That's something you probably just want to dump if you haven't added any and you filled up your vessel two times, three times, whatever settling at the bottom there is probably not good. So you, you eliminate it, um, you know, uh, you, you eliminate that by just cleaning it out and you know just be mindful. Don't buy your raw materials by the price. You know that's the <laughs> worst thing you can do. These animals don't deserve cheap. <laughs> they deserve the best we can give them. We took them from the ocean. Let's make them thrive. Let's not make them survive.
0: I, I'm an advocate for um, you know spending on uh, quality equipment and spending on quality uh, stuff that you're putting into the uh, the tank. Yeah, you don't want to cheap out on that stuff. Um, Definitely not. So uh, first of all, thank you, Peter T, for that super chat. Always appreciate Chris's insight is the comment. Um I've seen a couple well, I've I've seen a couple of uh, folks talk about slurry again here, um, Chris, and I, I think that uh, um and I don't know if you know um if you've been following Telegram. I, I know he um has has been doing the uh, the slurry method and I think they actually had a live stream that talked about it. His comment is I understand the slurry hesitation, but it's possible four percent and below six months and uh, simple process and consistent, that's his uh, comment. I, I guess we could have a whole uh, back-and-forth debate in terms of uh, whether or not slurry exactly,
1: is— It's exactly what is is the problem, is it is consistent. And it will get to a saturation point where your tank can't handle it anymore, and it is just going to go. Uh, I promise you that. Uh, I've I've talked to physicists. I've talked to Chris Wood, the marine scientist behind Captivate Aquaculture, who's been my mentor for 15 years. Um, it's not a good idea. Don't don't continue. I I, I promise you, it's going to be a problem down the road. Um, major water changes might slow that process down, um, but it's 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 a it's a recipe for disaster. Um, the the. It's, I'm listening to the people that I trust um, 100%, and that's my friend Gene and and um, and Chris because uh, they're both educated on this um, way more than I am. And um, I do a lot of experimenting for them and help them in many ways. We all work together extremely well, and we've all came to the consensus um, immediately when I heard about people doing cock slurry. They're
0: playing with fire. I mean, just, and, you know, just what you talked about before, um, earlier in, in, in the sense of running that stuff through a doser or it actually getting into the system, into the sump, into, uh, maybe return pumps. I, you know, I, I admit, I do not know the, um, the ins and outs of the slurry method, but just uh, on the surface, to me, there seems like there are risks with, um, dosing Kalkwasser that way.
1: No, there's, dose with, there's, there's risk with dosing any hydroxide. You know, I mean, hydroxides in general can be very dangerous. I mean, it's calcium hydroxide. It's one of the weakest hydroxides that are that are out there. I mean, at maximum concentration, you can stick your hand in it, and you're not going to have to worry about your hand, your flesh melting off of your skin. If I put my hand in my max concentrated or sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide, um. That's not the smartest thing in the world you can do. It's, it's so a, basic I, that it'll just melt your skin. Man. I
0: had a little cut on my finger today, and I was uh, swapping out the, uh, the cockwasser <laughs> today, man. That hurt, dude. That was, that was an open wound, too, man. That stung a lot.
1: I got one-third concentration potassium on my thumb being just ridiculously dumb about it, not thinking, just thinking, oh, I can do this really cautiously and gently. And I got it on my finger, didn't even realize it was on my finger until i don't know probably a few minutes later and i started feeling this weird tingling sensation in my finger and i stuck my hand right in the water and I started rubbing my fingers my th- my thumb stayed cracked and dry for almost a month and a half and literally i think i fixed my problem and the next thing you know it would get this big huge split down the middle of my thumb yeah. it would start bleeding yeah. and just the pain yeah. that i went through and that was the hydroxides just eating away at me continuously (laughs) and just oh, learn my lesson the hard way. So I suggest if you're doing the cock story, please reconsider it. Don't learn the hard way because these animals are too precious. And if you got some stuff that you're prized and you're, and you, and you love, and you might not be able to get your hands on again, there might be a day that comes where you won't have it anymore. And it is a recipe for disaster in the long run. And it's different in every system. And just like what we're doing is different than what anybody else is doing, because our systems aren't your systems. Every system is going to have a different reaction to everything that you do to it. I can give you a baseline on how to do things. It's up to the reefer to think about how to fix it or consult me. I'm happy to help you through any issues with what I'm telling people how to do. Because again, like I said, it's, your system's different. It might be a completely different process on dosing hydroxides. And with most people that are doing calc wasser that I've taught how to do it my way, um, they're just like, what? <laughs> I mean, you know, the growth is insane. I mean, there's one guy, Jay, um, I started him up on it back in G- February and he had Acros, um, some crazy weird name, um, I don't remember what the name of it was. It was uh, a
0: nub. There's a lot of weird names out there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I could go on for hours about that. And unfortunately, being a farmer, I got to come up with a name for every single one of mine. And I'm just like, we're calling this one Mike the Mycidium because <laughs> I don't feel like figuring out what it is. But everybody can know its, it's name is Mike and it's a mycidium.
0: <laughs> I understand that. That makes um, a lot of sense. You know, I mean, you give it a first name and, well, you know, the last name is it's a scientific name
1: well what we're also we're trying to figure out because um, one of my employees AJ he really liked this one Acro and he's like Chris he's like do we have this on the farm and I'm like it's a chop shop frag I'm like I don't think we have it on the farm I said um, if you think it's a nice piece to put on the farm I said put it aside he's like well, what are we going to name it and I'm like it's um it's AJ the Acro and he's like huh <laughs> so I named him you
0: know, I, I uh Amanda's just taking we'll she's like AJ. ripping those glasses out of your hands there <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, um, the name game is, t- is yeah, pain that's but a whole nother Jay, Jay showed me photos after he started doing the pH that his was very suppressed, like 7.6. And when I started doing them on the calc washer, he was freaking out because it took him a while to get his system to acclimate to the calc washer and the pH and to stabilize everything to the point where he could back off his washer dosing at nighttime so that he wasn't continuously dosing during the, the photo period as well, which was then saturating his water with the method and the way I do it. But um, in, in four months time, his little nub that he had for a year that was encrusting just a tiny little bit turned into a beautiful little mini, miniature colony in four months. And he's just like, I'm blown away. He's like, I've only spent like 40 bucks on my tank in the last four months where I was spending about 100 hundred and fifty dollars a month on my aquarium i'm like good that's exactly <laughs> what the point of this is to make your corals happier save you money and just make reefing easier than what it already is
0: that's that well, that is a a good um you know thing to uh, shoot for all right man so we've been talking a lot about ph and um it is a uh, it is a very interesting uh topic and and i've learned a lot listening to you, uh, Chris, talking about it. And I know uh, a lot of folks out there appreciate it. Let's, uh, How about shifting gears a little bit? So when when, when I was down on the farm back in um, April, I think I was down there, yes. down there in April, you were playing around with some new LEDs. How's that been going?
1: I'm, I'm really happy with the Coral Cares. Um, I, I have so many people that say, I can't believe you like that light. It's an ugly light. It doesn't do much. And I'm like, man, you guys have no... From my... For my application, for a farming application, they're the simplest lights to use because with all the dust that, that comes into my place, and I know it's going into my systems, but it settles on the tops of my darn lights, and I can't stand the dirtiness of it. So the great thing about them, they're basically a street lamp. They're sealed. So we just pull them down, take them out, hose them off, put them back up, let them, let them make sure the plug's dry, plug them back in, and they're good to go. Um, there's only basically, um, two channels. It's blue or blue and white. Um, the par value is nothing even close to what my yellow magics was, but when I replaced, I I still love my yellow magics. They're a great light. I just don't like taking photos under them. They really, the corals really respond well to them and they make the corals look great. Um, but they still weren't doing what I wanted them to do as an LED or as a light source for my wild import. This, this is
0: the uh, Coral Cares? The Coral yeah. Cares.
1: No, the, the, the L- Illumagics. Illumagics. Okay. The okay. So we decided to put the Coral Cares up, and I just replaced one of the um, one of the um, Illumagics with two Coral Cares. And underneath those corals, I noticed a big difference in the corals' ability to hold color longer than underneath the... Illumagic. So we took them down and we put eight coral cares up over an eight by four tech. And honestly, I couldn't be happier with the results that we're getting from it because we have amazing colors. The growth is great. And the polyp extension is unbelievable, but I'm sure the polyp extension has a lot to do with our method in taking care of the corals, the system itself, as well as lighting. And
0: and and you have both acros and LPS under the coral cares?
1: You know the funny thing about that. Um, no, I don't right now. I no, only keep my SPS under the Coral Cares. Actually, in my farm system, I have I have um, a lot of euphilias under under Coral Cares. But I'll get into another scenario that I ran into with strictly LEDs here in just a minute. But the Coral Cares, the main um, Coral Cares, are mostly under um, have mostly uh, SPS underneath of them, and I always like to try and something new out with SPS corals. If my SPS corals don't like the new change, then I don't want to use that on the rest of my systems yeah. because I, if I can keep an SPS happy with this light with a lower par value.
0: What are you talking about? Par was.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, under my Illumagic, we we're at 380 on the corals, and under the um, Coral Cares, we're at 270. Yeah. And
0: yeah, we'll I mean, I, I have like under my halides in my uh, frag tanks, you know, I'm sometimes 250 to 300, uh, 200 uh, low point in terms of under the, uh, the halides. So, and they're, you know, I got great growth and colors on those corals. So it's not necessarily a par deal, but um, that's part of it.
1: I think, I think people need to stop talking about par. <laughs> in my opinion, par is not something people should be talking about because your corals are going to tell you if they're yeah. happy. Okay. You need to observe your corals, not observe your equipment. And that is one of the things that I think has been a big um, step backwards with LEDs. Um, and I'm I'm not putting LEDs down in any way. I mean, they're they're great for people that are techie, they love to do all this different, you know, all fine and good. But for me, I want plug and play. You know, yeah. I want to plug it in and make it yeah. work. I don't have time to sit and you know, if I had if I had as many radions up as I had in coral cares, and I had to worry about that programming being slipped out or me having to repro. I would go mm. nuts. I mean, I'd have to have a full time <laughs> employee to maintain that stuff, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I'm a metal halide T5 and coral care LED with reef bright accents. Um, that's the only LEDs that we really use anymore or at all now is the reef brights for accents, the coral cares, and a, and a handful of Villa Magics that we had purchased, you know, four or five years ago. And I won't get rid of them mm-hmm. because they still work and they work well. Um, but The the growth, the color, and everything out of the corals has been phenomenal. And something I did find and notice, I have four coral cares over my acro chop shop healing station, for say, in my frag tank. And I also heal a lot of acros that are chop shop in my underneath my metal halides. One of the things I noticed is the growth on the um, acros. Under the coral cares, is about twenty five percent less. Under the coral cares, as what it is under my metal halides. Yeah. So, if I have um, acros that I am healing to being to puddle under the plugs, so I can sell them as a chop shop. They're under my me- under my uh, metal halides to start, and then we bring them to the frag system where we actually pull the corals from, and we put them on a top rack, which is only about two inches below the surface of the water. And I measured the par there, um, and it was about 250 less than what it was mm-hmm. under the acros in, under, mm-hmm. in my acro, where my metal halides are. We're like 650 to 750, as high as 850, depending on the, on the metal halide, under my acros on my farm, and where we heal the acros for chop shop. And then it was about 450 underneath the coral care. So I was like, okay, so it's about 25% less light. So is the par really the reason why the metal halides are growing them faster or is it the fuller spectrum of light that they're getting from the metal halides? And I won't know that unless I could actually get that kind of par reading on my coral cares, but I, they're amazing lights. I mean, they're simple. They're easy They're. I mean, uh, when we, when we're pulling the corals for our customers, I have them on the reef crest mode, which is blue and white. It's a hundred percent blue, hundred percent white for the entire day. If I want to turn the uh, blues on so I can go pull the acros for uh, what you see is what you get order, it's so easy. I just click on each um, controller, and yeah. I have a program set for blue, and the blues make the corals look amazing. I mean, there's a really good royal blue LED in that light. Uh,
0: so Reefkeeper is asking, do you have a, um, a built-in schedule with the coral cares, or is it a custom setting?
1: I just used the built-in schedule, the reef crest mode. It came with it because I'm not techie, and I don't want to – I, wanna... I should probably sit down and make... – I probably should sit down and make my own program for it, but that'll probably come one day. Um, it's, it's not broken right now, so I'm not going to try and fix something. It's been working so well for us. I'm just going to continue with the way it's going right now, but I'm sure I could come up with a better um, program for the for the time period where the lights are on. Um, I just, everything's been going so good, I just haven't done it. So
0: uh, are you perhaps thinking of getting more uh, coral cares or are you. Um, well, what's that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I bought. Uh, we have. Um, they're not all up yet. We have uh, forty eight in the warehouse, just waiting to go up over the new farm. We just haven't got the new farm in. Once the new farm goes in, there's going to be forty eight more coral cares going up. We have twenty. We have. a don't know, we have twenty four right now. So we'll have a total of like seventy two coral cares going grow, in our in our place. Is this
0: a replacement halide bulb for you, man? I mean, is this uh good old... No. No.
1: no. And I'll tell you why. I'm glad you said that because I was so happy with what I was seeing from the Coral Cares. And I've always loved Tulio's Reef Bright um, XHO yeah. accent strips. And I still love my T5s. Always will. Never will change, especially after the data that we've gotten over the last yeah. year with the new farm Quick system. question. Somebody's That's-
0: asking, what T5 yeah. bulbs do you run? ATI
1: Blue Plus. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's all I use. um, We buy them (laughs) – I think we replace 150 to – it's either 150 or 200 every time we replace them, and it's every nine months. And every time there's a sale, I buy as many as I can get my hands on, and I stockpile them so that we have them because I'm afraid one day they're not going to allow us to buy the on things, and that's going to scare me because um, I'm going to get into what I'm about – what I'm thinking right now with your question. Is the coral care the replacement for the metal halide? No, and here's the reason why. Biggest thing that I see as a problem with all LEDs is the claim of UV.
0: Yeah, we talked about that with uh, Poletta.
1: There is no UV.
0: That's what he said. He said uh, Tulio came over, broke out the uh, spectrometer, Zero. and there was no UV that was measured.
1: Okay. So where I'm getting at with this is when I put my new farm system in and you, Keith, you saw it, but I don't think there was a whole lot in it back in April. I think we were just starting to put more and more corals into it. Um, I have the uh, coral cares and I have the XHOs over that. And it was the only system in my entire facility that was strictly LEDs. And it didn't even dawn on me until all these little itty bitty subtle problems started happening when I was removing, like, what the first thing that really irritated me badly was the parameters from ICP testing that I get every single week from the farm system I was taking calls from and fragging them down and making sure that there was no uh, exposed skeleton from the other farm system. The only thing that would possibly be put in would be exposed tissue into the new farm system was how we were adding corals to it we were taking big colonies breaking them down and making sure that there was nothing that could harbor um algaes or whatnot it's not a foolproof plan but it was um without space i don't have time to qt everything like i want to but it's been it worked really well and it has worked still to this day really well without ha- introducing a lot of crazy weird stuff that might come from another system um i i took my prize torch collection. That was growing under metal halides and T5s for years. And I had some colonies that I grew from a single polyp out to, you know, seven or eight polyps. I broke them all down from the main farm in the back. Cleaned them, toothbrushed them. We even got the Dremel tool out and made sure that all the algae was. I mean, we, we, I was so anal about it. I moved it all over into the farm. And they were looking amazing under the, under the coral cares and under the, under the reef brights. Absolutely amazing. As my as I kept moving more and more over to it, um, it was about three months into it. Um, for no reason, uh, one one polyp that I had made a separate tile for to grow into a colony, one polyp would start you know closing up, and I'm going, "What the heck is going on? You know, why is this happening? These corals were thriving in the farm in the back. Now they're starting to shrink up a little bit here. What what, what is this? I'm pulling my hair out. Like I, I'm having gene." Make sure, calibrate your machine before you do this test and calibrate before you do this test. I want to see what you get. I'm like, I'll pay you whatever I got to do. I need to know what's going on in my system. What is in my water that's causing these corals to not do well in here versus the farm at the back? And we couldn't find anything that was a toxin, anything that was just a, a level that was so far different. You know, we just couldn't find anything. So then I narrowed it down to, okay, maybe it's the flow. Because I only had, you know, the main return pumps, and there was only uh, the closed loop underneath for, for flow. And you feel they were moving pretty good. So, I put um, mm. more gyres in to get even more flow. And then I started losing even more. And I'm going, okay, this is really, really irritating me. These coils are precious; they've been farmed for years, and now they're just dying one by one. Called Tulio. Tulio's like, I know what your problem is. No UV. I'm. I'll be down. I'll explain when I get there. Uh, he came down two days later with his computer and his spectrograph and his UVA, UVB, UVC monitors. And um, he starts going into his thing. You know, you know Tulio. Tulio can talk. He's probably worse than me.
0: Um, <laughs> no, I think, Chris, you might have been part yes. of the record with me, you, and uh, I don't know if the the, uh, the longest stream was uh, the three of us with Jake or – Yeah, I think so. It was
1: you, me, and Jake. Then it was me. Then it was yeah. Jake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <clears throat> but we got we got by the way quite a debate going on here in the chat about the UV um, and all that stuff. But go ahead, I'll I'll get back to that. Well,
1: with with um, when Tulio came down, he measured the UV of all of every single light that was in my in my tank and on all my systems. All the metal halides had UV. All the T5s had very minute amounts. There's only like thirty micromoles. Um, and then um, I went to a specific UV bar that I had that has five uv so-called uv leds in them and we put his meter right up on it and there was zero uv so we went around to the other leds and the IlluMagics um had i think it was three micromoles i'm like what is that <laughs> doesn't sound a it lot down,
0: like you know it's pretty
1: down two inches below it and it was zero but you put my when on the halide we put the sensor under the water and we had uh it was 50 to 60 micromoles of uv in pretty much Uh, the lowest points inside the aquarium. And even with the T5 only areas, there was, you know, 15, 20 micromoles of UV. And that was UVB, UVC. There was no UVA on any of them. Um, Just nothing produces it, you know, enough. Um, Well, actually the metal halides up close had some UVA. So Julia was like, I know your problem. Look at the algae in your tank in in this system and look at the algaes growing in your other systems. And I noticed this too. I had this weird, dark, almost black, velvety type algae growing in the tank and the system that was strictly leds and now granted this tank was set up from scratch cycled in all leds never had a metal halide or t5 over it it was a brand new system so this black algae was really weird to me and even when i took it out and looked at it under a microscope i it was just looked like most of the other algae that were there I ended up taking a couple of my torches. Tulio asked me to do this. He's like, take one of your torches that's not looking happy right now and move it back where it used to be, where you knew it was thriving. So I did. And the next day I came in and it was like, whew, wide open, flapping in the current. The hmm. black algae was like turning like a tan, like a darker, wow. like a, not a tan, turning like a brownish color. And the next day the black algae was gone. So that made me put metal halides up over all my systems leds it's hybrid systems for everything metal halide t5 led you can't just use leds in the long run it can be detrimental to to aquariums yeah you, sanjay's a perfect example.
0: yeah i mean um paletta talked about this you know he he is uh he i guess he I wish I listened. well you can you could still I you could it. still like listen to it dude you could uh go through well you got two weeks off now you got plenty of time to listen to it <laughs> Good yeah point. um go. So yeah, he talked about adding um, halides to his LEDs because of the uh, the lack of UV in in the LEDs. And and uh, just a couple of comments here. Uh, Telegram is saying um, some LEDs do have UV. Kessel and GHL absolutely offer sub 400 nanometers. I mean, I could speak to the GHL because sure. I I could speak to the GHL because I'm running um, six of those uh, fixtures in the Metras over my uh, Peninsula tank and uh, you know me dude i mean i i am a middle halide guy t5 through and through so this is my first venture into uh, leds and i uh, you know like 6 months in in terms of like having corals in that tank i'm really very very pleased i'm getting some great colors and and some great uh, growth under those lights so um
1: don't change what's not broken right right <laughs> um you know i mean we, we, we were looking at it as, from an aspect, you know, I mean, I would have never gotten the Coral Cares if it wouldn't have been for um, Terrence, um, the former face of Neptune. He just showed me all of this, everything he showed me from when he used the Gen 1 Coral Cares just blew my mind. I'm like, there's no way that they're LEDs. And he still had T5s up. I didn't realize that. Um, I don't think he does anymore at this point in time. But the LEDs are great. Um, but I, you know, and, and, and to, to, telegrams, um, he is correct that they have UV AP nine X is the only led that we did a test on that has any significant amount of UV coming out of it. But here's the problem. It, it doesn't penetrate into the water. So it's only, only present in a very short span from the light. And I've. I saw it with my own eyes. I have AP9Xs at my place. Um, only reason we have them is because we use them at the shows. And we ended up purchasing them, so we just had them all the time. And I ended up putting them up over a, a small tank in my What You See is What You Get room. And I said, let's go check this out because I heard it's got UV. And then Gene, my friend who's the physicist, he ended up buying a spectrograph and you know a whole bunch of UV equipment. And he did this whole graph thing on all the LEDs that he has. And he's like, you're right, Chris. He's like, the AP9X is the only one that shows UV, B and C. He's like, but as soon as you go into the water, it disappears. So marketing is always something that you have to take a, a look for. I mean, and I, don't, I don't fault any of these manufacturers for, for putting out there that they have um, UV, but, you know, Go deep, go, go more, dig deeper into it. Give us more details about it because UV is not all created equal for one. I mean, you can go to a hospital and use an LED UV to sterilize your hands, but you're only this far away from the LED on the top and the bottom. And you have UV properties of LEDs in there. It's from a distance past four inches is where the problems begin with UV and LEDs. And until they make it affordable for somebody to be able to purchase an LED that is strictly UV that's going to produce enough to penetrate our water, LEDs are never going to be sustainable for corals long term. And the reason being is exactly what happened in my farm system. As soon as I put, okay, I've got six coral cares up over that tank. As soon as I put up four 175 watt 20K bulbs, all my problems disappeared. And all the algae that was weird went away. All the recession of the, uh, euphilia glabrescence and the, and the fimbrophilia, um, all of that stopped. So the only thing I did was add metal halides and that's proof enough for me. And then when the meters were brought back and I got to see the LA, the UV properties throughout the entire tank, even though I don't have them everywhere yet, because I need to run more power. Um, I've got a little bit of UV hitting every basic corner of the entire system now. And the corals are happier because there has to be something. And I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. I, I learn a lot from talking to the different people and coming up with other ideas that they might not have thought about. And we problem solve our issues um, with the right people. And, They all said, you know, it's a very good possibility that if there's no UVB or C hitting your substrate, that it's allowing this funky weird algae to grow that normally wouldn't grow because the UVB or C would kill it. And also bacterias that would normally be present and probably are present in every system, but are not um, a dominant species that can become, say, a parasite. Like um, they might live in harmony with the corals with the UVB and C to keep it at bay. But if it becomes a, a an overabundance of that bacteria, that could be what was the reason why your corals were being affected by it and dying. And it wasn't brown jelly. It wasn't, it was just slow recession and slowly just never opening again and then poof, gone. And, but I have to say this, don't ever throw away a dead euphelia because almost every single one of them, I was so pissed about them dying I threw them in the corner of the tank and we found babies growing on every single oh, really? one of them yeah we're talking four months
0: later whoa Jeez, <laughs> so man. that's
1: pretty doggone cool. that's resilient so if you have a euphelia yeah, if you have a euphelia that dies save the skeleton somewhere where it gets some light give it four to six months and you might, you just might have babies pop up on it again. <laughs> Pretty doggone cool. So dude, how, um,
0: how do we reconcile this with a, uh, an industry that is like laser focused on just, um, you know, putting out more and more advanced led, uh, light fixtures and, and, you know, halides are in the rearview mirror at this point. I mean, you got Tulio that, um, you know, sells them. Hamilton, I guess is still, uh, cranking them out, but, uh, you know, who else out there? Uh, Giesman used to, but, I don't think they're really readily available in the United States. You know, how, how do, um, how do, you know, how does the industry kind of like reconcile that? And, and, um, you know, if, if that does turn out to be the reality of the situation that LEDs are lacking the, the UV, how do we, um, you know, kind of, um,
1: Good question. Get, get because um, it's all going to be in the evolution of LEDs and, and, and how, and if they can make one affordable enough that does produce, enough uv to penetrate the water of our systems is it going to be affordable enough for it to happen i mean leds have been around what L- first led light fixtures was what 2006 5 four, something like that There was a really i can't remember the name of the, of the company that put them out um but where we where we were then and where we are today is huge. I mean, leaps and bounds. And I, I respect the fact that they're constantly evolve, evolving LED technology. Um, I, I have no doubt that one way or another, somehow they're going to figure out what they have to do to make this happen. So you do get UV properties out of the uh, lighting so that we don't have weird things like, you know, happen with, you know, I, I don't know if this is what happened with Mike Paletta, but I think Mike Paleta, um, I read a little bit about his, his threads. Didn't he have Almost an entire crash on his SPS.
0: He had uh, some RTN-STN events, some some that's what some, some mysterious events that were going on. But he, he was um, essentially uh, saying that it was a bacteria-related issue. That he he thought it was a um, you know vibrio, when he was treating with witch hazel to try to um, to overcome that uh, that issue. So I think it was.
1: Sanjay had the same thing with similar where he was having, and this is the other thing I noticed with some of my uh, SPS that were under the LEDs before I put the metal halides up is I wouldn't have like, you know, everybody that knows acros, especially you have, if you have STN or RTN, it always starts at the base.
0: I mean, right. And Mike you, was saying that this was not starting from the base. This was different. It was middle. starting like the top or the middle.
1: That's, the, that's exactly what everybody that I've talked to that has nothing but strictly LEDs over their tanks when they're having something weird happening in their system. It's not a normal STN or RTN event happening. It's just totally off the wall and throws you for a loop. And I was talking to Sanjay at Aquashella in Dallas, and I said, I bet you your problem with yours. And you, he treated it with antibiotics, and he stopped the problem, but I think it started up again.
0: Yeah, he and said I, Mitch I said, Hazel I, didn't, uh, didn't solve his problem.
1: I think the only thing that's going to solve that problem, especially on SPS, is if, if you have the ability. I mean, everybody wants to get away from running metal halides because of the cost of it and the fact that their bulbs are going to be really difficult to find. I recommend to everybody that loves the aspect of the properties of LEDs, figure out how, depending on the size of your tank and what your tank is, figure out how you can hang a metal halide in there, burn it for two hours a day, burn it for four hours a day, you know, Don't use it as your main light source, but use it as your UV source because we have no LED UV source at this point in time. And, well, that's going to cost a lot of money. Really? I look at people and if they, say, if they say it's going to cost a lot of money, I don't even want to talk to them. To be honest with you, because if they're just thinking about the money aspect of it, it really irritates me to no end because it's about the animals. How much money is it going to cost you to replace your animals if they all die because you were too cheap to put up a metal halide and burn it for two hours a day? I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, there's, there's a lot of ways to think about things, the negative and the positive, or you take that negative and you know, make a positive out of it because there's always a way to make a negative into a positive. And I agree. It is expensive. But guess what? I'm not going to change. I'll spend the money because I know what we're going to get out of our corals by running metal halides and T5s. And now that I know that LEDs need a little supplemental light with the metal halide, I just bought, Tulio was like, dude, you bought like 40 metal halide ballasts and uh, 150 bulbs. <laughs> and um, they, they had to open condoms. up another like... factory
0: for you. huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's
1: like, I don't have it all in stock. And I'm like, get it for me. And just Send it when it's ready. You know, I'm going to be a month or two out before I can use it I'm anyhow.
0: not asking you to uh, name any uh, other businesses, but uh, do you know other coral farms out there, uh, commercial, uh, you know, operations that are uh, having similar thoughts in terms of adding halides to their systems that only had LEDs? No?
1: I, I, you know, Keith, it's not that I don't want to talk to other coral farmers. I actually just met Fan from um, Tidal yeah. Gardens, and he's a super awesome guy. And I really would like to talk to him more because I'm sure he's got some things that I can. I'm going to have him on the live stream again
0: uh, in the springtime.
1: Oh, I got to know about that. I got to jump in and, and and you know chat in here with you guys a little bit. But um, you know I I just don't have the I don't have a ton of time, and I'm still working on my own things, and I don't want something clouding my my process that we're already working on, like my, the ACI method for chemistry in the aquarium, I can touch on it right now, but I don't want to go into any details because I'm still learning so much about it. When's the, I can't when's the book coming we... out? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris is already putting all the documentation down and he said he's got it already ready to rock and roll. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But, um,
0: <laughs> that's going to be a, a that's of... going to be a bestseller, dude. Nah, come on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you. Um, I, that would be amazing um, if we do get it out and, and we do get a lot of people buying it because um, uh, I'm only going to put in everything we've learned, all the, all the negatives, all the positives, and so people can really understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. I mean, these animals are, are very precious to this earth. They're precious to me because it's my livelihood. It is a driving force for me to You know, my my family is my first priority, of course, but you know, making sure that they're healthy and and have a roof over their head is of course, you know, the top of it. And if I don't take care of my babies at my farm, I can't do that. And you know, um I don't want to ever do anything to harm them. Now I've like I said, I've done some stupid things the the last year where I I had a suppressed salinity for three months and when I figured it out I wanted to I I literally I think I did cry (laughs) because it was just like the dumbest thing. I'm like, you, you, you should never trust something new. You, you, you never, you preach this all the time. Why did you not? Yeah.
0: But, um, so a couple of comments, uh, here that I wanted to just uh, throw out and, and I was thinking about this too, but, um, my simple reef mentions, how about, uh, uh, WWC, they use only LEDs and, and you ever see their tanks and, um, yeah, there's others out there too that are only, um, LED only operations. I think, um, Unique corals might only be uh, LEDs, but, uh, yeah, I mean, wh- what do you think, Chris, in terms of those operations that, that crank out great stuff only using LEDs? So we,
1: we truly 100% farm corals in our farm systems. Um, it is a farming operation. <clears throat> These corals are grown from frags, and they grow up, and it's not something that we get in and we get out. It's not something we farm for a little mm-hmm. bit and we and we get rid of it. These are corals we have in possession for years, decades is going to be down the road. It's not, um, in my opinion, it's different for what we're doing and what retail operations I are doing you. and some other farms. Yeah. So I can't really comment on what they're doing, any of these other people that you're that you're mentioning, because I don't know exactly how their operation works. I can only tell you what I've learned from my experiences with my Farm systems, and you know, if somebody's got a different outcome and they can show me data and not just tell me, I don't want to hear you say something. I can show you data, I can show you my dead corals, I can show you what the yeah, telegram's like asking
0: uh, whether you can share your uh physicist's uh data. <laughs>
1: um, go to reeflabs.com,
0: reeflabs.com.
1: You want an anal retentive guy that's going to make sure your ICP test is as accurate as possible. Reeflabs.com is the best ICP out there, in my opinion, because I know for a fact that he takes care of that piece of equipment. As a matter of fact, it's down right now because of a minor issue. And unfortunately, the part was like five grand and it's not going to be here till Sunday. So it's a week behind on ICP tests. But. He could run the machine and give you inaccurate results, but he refuses to. So he's waiting for that proper part to come to make sure that he gives his customers the most accurate data out there um, on ICP. Um, uh, We're a distributor for them, actually the only distributor right now. And then there's a couple online retail vendors that that sell it, uh, Aquaholics Aquaculture and um, Reefmasters.com. ReefDashmasters.com, I think. I don't remember. And maybe, um, exactly, uh, maybe
0: a reef bum will um, be uh, selling in the future.
1: And I'll be talking to you about that. That was something I've been wanting to talk to you about for a while because, you know, um, I, I've done every ICP on the market and um, I've never seen consistency like I've seen with Gene and his ICP tests. I even tried to trick him and send him <laughs> two samples of the same system. you know, And, and I told him, I said, one day I'm going to trick you. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you'll figure it out. If you don't, then I'm really going to be upset. And, and it was so funny because he took the samples. And it was the day that I told him, I, I said, can you give me my, my test results back in like two hours from the time you leave here? Can you have them in like two hours? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go right back to the lab and I'll run them real quick. So I wanted to calibrate my, my tridents. So we tested our alkalinity and I had his calcium and his magnesium readings to calibrate the tridents. He calls me. He goes, something's weird. And I'm like, why? What's wrong? What happened to the machine? He's like, no, he's like, I have, uh, he's like, look at the, look at the website. And he's like, I just uploaded your, 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 your results. And I, and I, and I started laughing. He's what, like, you
0: pull water from the toilet uh, or something? <laughs> you no,
1: know, I pulled water from grow out one and I labeled it as, um, as grow out two and everything else was pulled from the right system, but grow out one and grow out two had numbers that were so dead on except for it was like in a part per billion on the one that was different. I mean, they were so doggone close that they, you know, there's minor discrepancies are normal with seawater ICPs and to see that the water came back with almost a hundred percent accuracy from one test, to the next, and they were tested one. And then the next one was done. You know, I don't even know if he tested them right next to each other, but you know, there was other tests possibly done in between that. And they were, they were, Almost a, almost 100% wow. identical, probably 99%. And I've done that with other ICP companies out there, and I've, I've had such discrepancies from – and I've, I've tricked them. Well, didn't tell them, of course, and I get the results from the system. Is one says this, and the other sample from the same water. It's totally different, and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> you, you guys are wrong. And I called up the one guy and was talking to him. I'm not going to name names, and – they asked me how I, how I know all of this. And I'm like, well, um, I've got good people on my side. Yeah, we got said, a visitor I'm, there. I'm really not ha- <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm really not happy that you're, you're charging me 40 bucks for your test. And it's bullshit. Mm. I mean, to be blunt, I mean, I'm a blunt person. Sorry if I... If, <laughs> um, sometimes these tests are complete BS. And it disheartening because, especially in this day and age with how, how the economy is and how it's hard for, you know, people, they're, every dollar they spend on their aquarium needs to be at the best value they can get out of it. And if they're spending 40 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever it is on an ICP kit, and they can't even trust the test results, what's the point? Jeans I guarantee you can trust it. I trust it so heartedly, hundred percent, because if not, I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing with my system right now with all the minor trace elements that we're, Adding it. and that's a whole other conversation, but it's been a, a fun ride and I love having it right um, right down the road for me and my um, heck I can run a sample down there in the middle of the night and he'll meet me there if I need to because I'm freaking out about something. That's the great thing. Well, that's
0: dedication, <laughs> dude. Um, All right, man, we are, uh, we're like an hour and a half into this thing and we haven't even like checked out the cool videos that Amanda sent to me, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm ready to go
1: as long as you want. Yeah, to man. I just need to get somebody to go grab me a beer. Cause I'm out. Yeah,
0: me too. I'm going to have to text my wife. <laughs> um,
1: my wife's listening. So I'm waiting to see her walk across the, um, the sliding glass doors right there. Go grab me a beer. <laughs>
0: Chris needs to get, he, Honey, he needs please? To get topped off. <laughs> um, there's, there's a cup. well, I had like, two pages of questions for you dude and i don't think i've asked one of them yet so uh go for it. I, it I got a lot of different questions for you but i know a lot of folks out there are um uh, um i'm just looking at the chat oh alex korea is in the uh, the house we're just talking about metal halides alex. buddy <laughs> <Alex>. <laughs> he's the he's the he's the <laughs> big biggest advocate for metal halides out there
1: uh-uh
0: yeah <laughs> um he's going for the record jake says
1: I have stockpiled but, but, but enough metal halide bulbs. He's, uh, Jake's talking about
0: the, the the time record for rapping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. got gotcha. No, I know you got a stockpile of metal halide bulbs. I might be knocking on your door there if I uh, need some. <laughs> um, uh, let's, uh, before we check out the amazing uh, coral videos that, that you guys uh, sent along to me, bacteria dosing. So, this is yes. something that. Um, you know, was really not on my radar until about a year ago. And, and, uh, you know, truthfully, I didn't really um, think much about it until I started talking with folks on the show about it. And, you know, it it seems like it's, it's to an established reef tank dosing bacteria, a lot of folks are doing it. And, you know, there's, um, there's certain reasons why they might, Oh, look at that, man. He's got his, Oh, (laughs) loving that. Um, you know, so there's there's uh, several different reasons why folks might be dosing bacteria to establish reef tank or even maybe a, a semi-new uh, reef tank. You know, one is uh dinoflagellates and, and I've heard anecdotal evidence that uh, doing so will increase the biodiversity and help fight back the, uh, the dinos. But, you know, there's also a large um, um, contingent of folks that do it on a constant basis, whether they have dinos or not. And it's something that I started doing, experimenting with, Back In the summertime, because I had some cyano in my hundred and eighty seven gallon tank and and you know I don't like to use chemicals to fight cyano or anything else I just don't like I don't yeah. like to zap the uh, the bacteria in the tank like that because I just you know there could be collateral damage right in terms of the good guy bacteria that get zapped along with the uh you know the bad bad stuff so um i'm with yeah you. so I, I I use natural means i'll skim water changes siphon out detritus uh, you know, all that, uh, all that stuff. And, and, um, and also manually remove the, uh, the algae. I think that's a big, big thing that you got to do is if you got cyano, suck it out every now and then. But, um, so I had some cyano in, in the, in the tank. I know why it's there because it, the, the tank is wall to wall with corals and, uh, there's, it's, the flow is restricted in there. So it's tough to kind of get all that to try out. But I do take a power head every now and then and blow it around, try to get it into that water column and removed by the mechanical filtration. So,
1: feed your corals too. Yeah,
0: there you go. Why not? <laughs> and, and so um, I started playing around with it. I started dosing the Microbacter uh, Clean, you know, and that stuff is more geared towards um, helping with the. Uh, green nuisance algae and, and the MB7, Microbacter 7 is is more geared towards like the uh, the red and brown algaes. So I started out with clean, started dosing that, and then I started also dosing the um, the Microbacter 7. And I just put out a video on this and and and, and uh, talked about my observations after six months of, of dosing bacteria. One of the things that I stopped doing was uh, using Kato. And I know you use algae scrubbers, right, to um, to help control nutrients, but but, um, but it actually crashed my, uh, my Kato on both systems, I'm it on both systems actually, my 187-gallon uh, my system, my 225-gallon my Peninsula tank. So it crashed the Cato, uh, the which was fine because the nutrients essentially went up slightly. You know, my nitrates were like in the 2.5 to 5 part per million range and they went up to maybe like um, 10 in one of the systems and maybe it didn't go up, I don't think they went up at all in the other system. Phosphates went up very slightly. So, you know, one of the benefits I thought in terms of bacteria dosing was that I didn't have to really worry about um, the cato, And, you know, cato for me, crashes every now and then. It can be kind of a pain in the butt to maintain. Uh, you know, I've never used an algae reactor, so I, I couldn't speak to that in terms of how difficult it is. But I know on a commercial level like what you got going on, you need some real, um, you know, powerful stuff to to control the uh, the nutrients but for me the bacteria dosing was um, actually substituted for using Kato which was nice you know I like that yeah but you know the net net for me was that the corals still look pretty good you know when I first started doing it corals look great Um, at this point my corals in both systems are looking great the cyano is pretty much gone which is cool but I, I guess this is a very, very long-winded question for you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> where I'm heading is, have you ever dosed bacteria, or is that just not feasible on a commercial system like yours?
1: Every single you day. Do. Every single day. Um, the Reef Blueprints uh, Remediate. Um, it's a dry bacterial supplement that you can add, and we also do the Inoculate um, three times a week. and. I, I didn't do this up in I didn't do this until probably June, was when I started because I was having some of these issues in my system. This with past June, my yeah, this past June with my SPS, I was having some of these issues, and and I come to find that it was all because of my hydrometer yeah. that I you know never checked, but I never stopped adding the bacteria when I figured out what that problem was with the salinity, and. I notice that the growth, I don't think I notice anything different with my SPS. Um, I don't really observe anything that's highly noticeable. But where I notice the big differences with dosing bacteria on a daily basis is with uh, the LPS mm. Um, You know, my, my Ghaniaporas are just, I mean, they are growing. Their polyp extension is insane. After the, after the and, bacteria
0: dosing. No, all, all the time, time, but more so I mean, after the I bacteria mean, dosing. Okay. No, not at all. I mean,
1: it, it's just, it's, it, I don't think it changes from hour to hour to minute to minute. You know, I mean, it, it's con- con- consistently when I go back, you know, and I can tell, you know, of course when the lights just come on, they're not fully, you know, expanded, but I can tell that they're just, they're happy, you know, and it seems like they don't fully retract anymore. Like they used to, like, I used to go back and look at my, my Ghanis on the farm and Um, if I went in, in the middle of the night and it was, you know, I get the blue light light out and start looking and I'd see them completely sucked in and look like a little golf ball, you know? And now when I go in and this is only since the bacteria dosing has been, they're not like all sucked in like a little golf ball. They're like, you know, polyps are barely sticking out. You can still see the tentacles. They're not completely retracted. And I was I had to go into the farm last night at two AM because for whatever dumb reason my Wi Fi router went out and my apexes were all offline at the same time. And I'm like, something's wrong. <laughs> so here I am at two AM, driving back to the farm to go check it. Now of course I always look at stuff on there and those Donnies were still just, you know, extended about this far. And during the day, you know, they're like uh, open up to about a, a racquetball size. And when they're closed, they're about the size of a golf ball. Um and I never saw that or observed that before. Before I started putting bacteria in, now is it just the bacteria? I cannot tell you yes because I had already started doing my experimentation with um, minor trace, minor and trace elements. So we've um, been dialing in minor and trace elements long before we started dosing the bacteria, and I did notice with the minor and traces that I had, you know, some better growth and everything out of all the other corals. But as soon as the bacteria got introduced, it just took off. And I still don't have the minor and traces dialed in because there's just way too much, um, to go by. There's too many variables. It's going to take years to figure that whole process out. Um, and thank goodness I have a gene down the road and I can Mm. do my (laughs) ICP. Um, but the bacteria is um, – bacteria content in your system, which is part of your biomass of your system, is super important. And, and you don't hear anybody talk about this either. Very, some people do, but not very many. Um, it's not something common to hear is people don't dose, minor, and trace elements in their system because nobody really talks about it. What we're finding is, okay, we did have one of those biome tests before we started doing all Aquabio- that. I think I did that a year ago. Yes, aquabionics. Did one about a year ago. I was like five hundred and eighty-six species of bacteria living in my system. It broke it down to what species they were. And there was a handful of vibrios in there, but that's not uncommon. They're there, they're present. Um I did another microbiome test um, September. Eight hundred and ninety-eight different species of bacteria. Mm.
0: Nothing's changed. And you're not using, you're not using than, UV, right?
1: On the system that I tested, I don't have UV on. It's my farm system. My other systems, I do have UVs on them. And I found some very good beneficial things about UVs on your on a coral system, especially a wild coral system. It's been a, oh, so, so kicking myself in the rear end for not putting a UV on my wild coral systems, you know, 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Oh. <laughs> but um. it it, it made such a big difference in the biomass um, and the, in the bacteria content living in there and the minor and traces fuel that. And how we know that is by testing skim bait and what your skimmer is removing the proteins it's removing is, is in a lot of cases, dead bacteria.
0: So, so Chris, and, how do you, um, how do you, how do you quantify that? Because when I had Sanjay on, you know, we were talking about that, you know, and I, and I said to him, it's like, you know, things have changed because years ago I never even considered, you know, dosing bacteria, you know, and that was not, not something people did. We didn't have to worry about it, but you know, do you think that today the equipment is just so much more efficient? Skimmers are so more efficient and filtration systems are more efficient that it's pulling out, you know, the beneficial bacteria. And he's like, uh, where's the data, you know, prove that to me.
1: I have, um, I, I, I will put it all out to everybody. I just, there's, there's too much up and down and all around for people to, to even understand what's going on in, in the systems right now. I mean, I've got, you know, what nine almost nine months of weekly ICP tests. So you can actually see now the only thing I don't have in that data is, okay, I did a big water change on this system, um, in between these two tests, um, and that's something that I need to be more adamant about doing, so that I can really show true data um, of the results that we're seeing with um, just making sure our minor and traces are present, not at natural seawater levels. But he- here's here's what I have the question to ask everybody that doesn't believe that minor and trace elements need to be in our in our systems. Um, first of all, I'm going to ask you why, and second of all is they're in the ocean. It's found in seawater. It's obviously beneficial for the ocean. Something is utilizing these miners and the trace elements, whether it's the corals directly or some sort of bacteria that grows and feeds off of this particular element that's in us. Why wouldn't you want that in your system to duplicate the ocean as best as you possibly can? I, I get people saying it's a waste of time. It's a waste of okay, I'm going to prove you wrong, for one, because I already see the benefits of it. And I think that there's so many unknowns, and the variables that are involved with what we're doing is so great that people are afraid of it. And that's why we put that isolate MT on the market, which is a broad spectrum, minor and trace element additive you can put into your system. And it's not going to give you natural seawater levels of all those elements but it's going to at least you if you're adding it every day like you should be it's at least going to make those elements present for the time that they can be present before they're utilized by whatever the coral the bacteria the algae um the the rotifers the copepods i mean what what, what uses it nobody knows and that's what we want to know because it's obviously a part of seawater so we want to know why we why nobody wants to put it in their in the, into their systems and what are the benefits of us doing that? And I'm seeing such benefits just from the, just the MT, and now working with three major or three minor trace traces right now: copper, um, manganese, and um, vanadium, and iron. There's four of them. So we're we're doing them right now, and really monitoring them, and 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 main and dialing in the dosage that we need from week to week because the benefits are huge. I mean, I can only show you in from before and after photos is all I can show you right now. Um, I don't have it to show you right now, but I can, I have it in my database, but when it all comes out and we lay it all out and what we had before and what we have now on the same exact coral, it'll blow your mind. I mean, it it's, amazing what's happening uh,
0: a couple things uh, thank you my simple reef for that super chat and the comment is love chats thank you guys and merry christmas uh, Merry Christmas! Uh, reef the sea forever asked do you keep traces at the natural sea levels or are they raised up a little
1: honestly it's impossible to keep your traces at natural seawater levels because they get they, they, certain ones get utilized quicker than others so If you're going to keep your traces at natural seawater levels, you need to know exactly how much of that particular trace element is uptaken every single day in your system. And again, there's variables that are going to make it different one day versus the next day versus the next day. So to keep them maintained at exactly natural seawater levels is virtually impossible. Um, But – Gene being the physicist and the genius that he is, he has a way for us to figure that out. And I cannot wait until he's ready to do it with his new ICP-MS machine because we can't do it with an OES machine. It doesn't measure in parts per trillion. And when that machine is up and running and we can measure in parts per trillion, we already have made a 10-head peristaltic pump that is going to be for 10 individual minor and trace elements that we know are utilized very are uptaken or, or dissipate out of your system very quickly so that we can figure out how much is being dissipated on a daily basis and then we can set that dosing pump to make sure that that amount is put into the system um, continuously all day long. That's going to be a huge game changer for everything because when we can do that and, and we already know what they're doing for the corals that in particular that, that utilize them, we just don't know what it would be like if they were like, if they were present, 24 right. 7 And that's going to be the fun part yeah. And I mentioned copper earlier I'm actually having to dose copper Almost every Three days Because my copper levels are down below Nine parts per billion And without copper Photosynthesis doesn't really do its job properly And my, a lot of people don't talk about that I mean I remember people coming over And putting a dropper going one, two, one. <laughs> Counting the drops out of copper I'm dumping in a t- 2,000 gallon system <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, it's it's not medicine. It's just making sure my levels correct towards natural seawater, and photosynthesis will actually
0: do what it's supposed to be, be performed yeah. Yeah. better.
1: So, keep in mind, all of our corals rely on that zooxanthellae for photosynthesis to create the sugars to feed them. If we don't have copper at all in our systems, that coral has been fed. An inferior food, for say, because it's not being fed what it should be because it doesn't have the proper elements to create the sugars that it should be creating if that is not present. I'm not telling anybody. Don't go out and start placing <laughs> copper in your <laughs> daggone going aquarium, please. No, you're Chris. You're Chris is agree. at a
0: whole whole different level here <laughs> than us hobbyists. That's for damn sure, dude. Let's let's look let's look look at some corals. I want to. Yeah, hey,
1: let's look uh, at him. I've been waiting for this for yeah. long <laughs> <laughs> I love this video. Are you doing
0: uh, this? Yeah. Video? So, all right, we're gonna we're gonna. All right, so all right. folks, we're gonna Chris and I are gonna count down to three here because we want to make sure we're synced up. So Sync our video. three, two, one, play. All right. All so, right.
1: Oh, that's a new one. I love this coral. It's um, we just fragged. We had three colonies of it. We just fragged it. That doesn't do it justice. Um, and our gold dragon is since we've been doing all of the minor and traces and everything else, the, the colors have been just going crazy. I mean, I honestly couldn't tell you half the names of any of these corals, even though most of them do already have names, but, um, you know, this is, uh, that's the, uh, yellow tips, Acropora, um, that right back there. I wish I should have paused it.
0: I can't pause it, man. If we go
1: (laughs) now, it's okay. Um, one coral that was real smooth skin was actually um Cali Torque. Oh, wow, growing in a way I've never seen it grow before. I think there's another video of it, picture of it, video of it coming up here soon. It didn't come out clear. Is yours yeah. clear, Keith? Seems like it. Yeah, mine's not clear on mine right now. I can't even see. That was the world, uh, the um, the, the frog skin. There's my pearl berries. I got those. They were two fragments an inch long. Those in are ORA
0: pearl berries. No, yeah, love that coral. Love that old. coral.
1: There, look at how smooth and how weird that growth is. That um, there's my um, p- uh, gosh, I'm I can not do names. That was bird's a, nest, I see a, a bird's nest. Millie, yeah, I had to keep. It. There's tons of Millies. I um, love
0: Millies. I can't. Do you find Millies? Uh, do, you, do you find almost. Millies? Uh, you're not looking at the live stream. You're looking on your own thing, right?
1: Yeah. There's the um, that's the fuzzy navel um, uh, Millie. This is that one, that big one that was all. You can see it was cut up there. Jake, um, you'll love that piece right there. There's your Florida. I butchered it. <laughs> I've got 140 frags. There's the two Florida colonies, the toxic Floridas that Jake sent me back. Um, uh, I don't know when did you send it to me? Is it uh, back at the beginning of COVID? So it soon be two years. We got over 100 frags to sell of it now from a frag he gave wow. us. That's the plasma blast. An Acropora. That does not do it justice. The metal halides are on. That coral is so orange. The polyps are Right, blue right now, the
0: metal halides are not on.
1: On this one here, oh, they, they were. were. Yeah, because I can see the plasma blast. I can see the shimmer on it. They might have gone off right after that. Um But I, I mean, I don't know the names of half of these. I have to look up the photo. Table. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, but I mean, we just fragged that coral down. Finally, it needed, needed to be done. It looks like a pink Cadillac um, right is, there. That is a pink Cadillac right there. Um, I've got a lot of pink Cadillac. Um, There's like five colonies that size. There's the pink pan.
0: Ah, there it is.
1: It's my favorite coral in the whole entire farm. Jake gave me the very center nub of that coral, um, encrusting barely over a hexagonal plug, and that's what it looks like today, six months later. It's grown like a weed.
0: Yellow. There's more
1: of the yellow tips. Yeah, And then we have the austera, that's Austera. We have a um, Sunbeam Austera that's on the other tank that she might have in this video. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, this, this isn't even the best side. This is where, like, all the older colonies are. The other side's got all the newer stuff where all the tenuous, the millies, the um, – there's the Immortal um, the Tort that Jake got me. Um, that is the uh, – believe it or not, that's a Spatulata, that red, that big red wow. colony. That's the um, – that's the uh, scarlet Spatulata. There's another big piece of pink Cadillac. I didn't name this one yet, but we just fragged one of the colonies. The polyps. Look at the polyps on that thing. It's just insane. Crazy. I mean, <laughs> there's so many corals on the on the, the acro side. This is only showing one side of it from this video that I can see so far. But um, and and it's very unfortunate. I wish I had all the big colonies I used to have. That stupidity of my – Here it is. That's an Ora, Cali tort.
0: That is really.
1: That's Cali tort.
0: That's all showing a lot of green for a Cali tort.
1: But it's also showing a weird growth pattern too that I've never seen. Now I have another Cali tort that's in deeper water under 400 watt metal halides that doesn't look anything like that, and that blows my mind. That one right there, the purple one with the with the reddish polyps. Can't wait for that one. Strawberry shortcakes.
0: Love love shortcakes.
1: we always start every coral on the farm that's an aqua that we're going to farm as a small fragment, or if we have a chop shop that we really like, we take the butt, is what I call it, where you can't frag anymore, it's just a bunch of big, distorted, ugly piece of coral, and stick it to a plug and, and let it grow out. But here's a really amazing tenuous. That one right there, when we launch it, is um, going to be called the Chernobyl. Is
0: that the immortal um, torn right there, in, which is blue, blue by...
1: Oh, I'm not sure. I didn't know it was no, a no strawberry
0: shortcake.
1: Yep. There's a more, another yellow tips. Um, and and that coral grows like a doggone weed for us. I have it on the market all the time. And it is, it's, it's a great beginner SPS coral. There's a um Cali Tort growing properly. Mm. Yeah, my Cali torts always always that. My Cali Tort um, is like a lot green more
0: green. dense. You know, my branches are a lot thicker.
1: Well, you have to understand we're t- we're not letting it grow. Yeah. I mean, once it grows out to a certain point, we're cutting yeah. the whole thing down, and it's just that that base that's left over, and it's got to regrow. So, um, there's my sahur Sonoy. Beautiful. There's a um, that's called the crimson acro, which is a, a valida of all things that is like a crimson red in it. It's very very cool looking. Um, there's another piece of fuzzy navel off to the right of this big toxic green purple uh-huh. colony. Um. Oh, God, I love acros. If this wasn't going so fast, there's, this tenuous right here is a ripper. It, you can't see the subtle colors in it, but we've got probably 50 tenuous that are all different on the farm right now. That's the ACI Marvin the Martian.
0: Marvin the Martian. I like that name.
1: It's actually very, very reddish purple with the bright green on it. Um, hmm. And this is the uh, Martian Manhunter. There's my that was a nemesis of mine, the hidden aphora back there. I couldn't grow it for years. And all of a sudden we started doing really well. And all I did was boost my, or uh, boost my suppressed pH. <laughs> <laughs> There's the gold dragon. We got that from my buddy, Vincent Chalice. Uh, we got a bunch of colonies of it. Um, again, I don't know the names of 90% of these with, uh, just looking at them because, um, I've never been a big fun person yeah. of the name game thing, but I have to, with the stuff that we farm, yeah. you know, and, uh, guess i should get a little bit more versed with it. <laughs> yeah. Every one of the tiles has a label on the bottom. Oh, so, I can... uh, there's the black before that. Jake sent me black and yellow. Oh, that's cool. And this is the manila spy. Um, Jake chime in. I forget the species you told me it was. We thought it was a suit but it's not. Um, that thing is red as red can be. And he sent me a small fragment of that thing back in um, June. And this is a uh, toxic or toxic pie and Acropora. And then this is, um, I think Jake and I came together and we think this is Aqua Tuberculata Montepora because the, what he sent me was all branching and we thought it was Hirsuta. And then all the tips of the branches started getting these little tables growing on them. I'm like, what is that? That's not Hirsuta. And he's like, yeah, I think it might be her Aqua Tuberculata. So this Acro right here in the beginning, uh, showing, is it still showing? Yeah, no, we're you th- done. Okay. Um, but that one there was supposed to be a red dragon, but as it's morphed, um, it's not a red dragon. Pretty
0: exciting. Yeah. 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 It's not
1: a red dragon, a gold dragon. I'm sorry, but it's, it's morphed. It's pink and gold and blue. Very unique. Dude, okay.
0: all I could tell you is that, um, I was probably drooling at all your, uh, grow out tanks when I was there, you know, in, uh, in April, because my jaw was like hitting the ground. I mean, it was like Fantasy Land, just, just incredible <laughs> in terms of seeing all that stuff growing out and the, the, just as far as the eye can see. This beautiful corals, and, and uh, we also have a reel now of um, the LPS. Uh, do we want to show that?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, we have to show it. We might as well. Let me uh, tell me when I you're ready. Know. Um, she showed me what to do earlier, and of course, I'm so <laughs> darned good computer illiterate. I can't remember what I did. Um, all right, hit the back button and second video. You um, tell me when you're ready. Three, two, one, play. All right. Okay, this beauty right here, okay, you cannot gauge the size of this coral. This coral is bigger than a basketball, weighed over 40 pounds. It is a goniopora. It is like a purplish, pinkish color. Um, it just finally left for its new home today. It's going to go live its life out in a 5,000-gallon tank at a private wow. home. Um, I sold it to a big maintenance company that did the installation on the tank. But this coral, I mean – it blew my mind when we got the box in because I actually was so busy that day. I didn't get a chance to look at my boxes and what was coming in. So I don't even like doing that anyhow because I don't want to know. I want Christmas <laughs> Day. I want to want to surprise day every time. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel, uh, my manager, he comes to me. He's like, dude, he's like, help me pick this doggone box up, dude. He's like, it's, it weighs like 100 pounds. And I'm <laughs> like, what? And, and I looked at the label um, and then I looked at the packing list and I'm like, there's four pieces of coral in here. I'm like, and three of them are carpet anemones. I'm like, what? Wow. And one's a Ghani. I'm like, oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> Mega Ghani? Ghani.
1: My head went straight to Ghani's gonna be dead. Um, it scared me. And we got it opened up and pulled the carpets out and I put this coral in the tank and within fifteen minutes the thing was starting to polyp. No about. acclimation. Look at that. No acclimation. <laughs> it was bleachy. The water was milky. Really? Um Oh well, sixty hours in a box, and if you defecate a couple of times, you're going to be in pretty bad shape too, aren't you? <laughs> you know, that's the thing that people don't realize when, when we import. You know, if if they aren't packed properly, and they have a sixty hour travel to get to me, they're going to defecate in that ba- in that box in that bag, and they're going to have problems. All of my suppliers from all the times I've visited in Indonesia, I've told them, don't put a coral in the bag unless it is completely sucked in. Because then you know that there's no water inside of that coral for it to possibly have already been working up a bathroom break, per se. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Pack it when it doesn't have anything in it. And if it pulls water in and still decides to do it, we did our best to not allow it to do it right after it got put into into the bag. And then go on its journey. At least if it does it, you know, halfway through the journey, you know, it's going to be a better chance of it surviving than doing it on the beginning of its journey. So that water was so milky that I I was so nervous about it. I grabbed um, actually I put a uh, gyre one eighty fx one eighty an old one that I didn't have running. I threw it right on the tank and had it blowing straight for it. it. Was about three and a half feet away from it, in between two two hundred fifty watt metal halides, and it sat there for four months. No. I'm sorry, that wasn't that coral. That sat there for two and a half months and finally made, made it to its new home today. Wow. So um, I'm so proud of that piece of coral because in most cases that coral would not be alive, but because of the TLC that I gave it from the day it came in, they're not easy. I mean, believe it or not, a piece of coral that large, especially when a Ghanaian side, is a difficult coral to ship around the world alive for one, but then once it gets to your facility, putting it in the conditions where it's got the right flow going around it. So it's going through and and that's not just one piece. It actually is a, has got three big lobes on it and you can see in the foot when it, when it played, you can see the, the where the lobes were and there's actually full blown cracks. You could stick a, a piece of paper through it the whole way and they're separated polyps or, or, not polyps, um, almost like little s- smaller colonies of it because um, it's, it's really cool,
0: very cool. Chris, man, I mean, uh, I don't think you have to really worry about importing stuff that size anymore because the way you can grow corals, I mean, you could probably grow something <laughs> like that in three months for crying out loud.
1: Oh, I wish <laughs> if I could grow Ghanis that fast, I'd be doing really well because I've got some prize ones that I just—they're growing, but you know, there's so many species of Ghani and what we don't know about ganiopora. Um is probably our biggest doubt. Dude, I've got
0: some uh because, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I no,
1: was go ahead.
0: gonna ask you a question. I might ask you this question before, but I've got like this red planaria that's on one of my um it's on two Gani's. It's on it's on a um a green Gani and it's on a um I don't know what I would call this. It's it's um kind of like a brownish um beige. Really cool Ghani. Not on my red Gani's, but it's like a red planaria and I've tried a whole bunch of different dips and um have not been able to get rid of these, uh, planaria because what I think is going on is the, the tentacles are receding into the skeleton and being protected from the dip. Any, uh, yes. any tips on so, how to, uh, get rid of those buggers? I do. I do. Um, you know,
1: there's, there is a planaria that, that, that is, um, a pest on a lot of different corals. Now, do you know if this is an Australian or it's It's Indonesia? a, uh,
0: what the, uh, the Ghani?
1: The gani? It's the
0: Ghani. a, uh, it's a farm raised, so I don't know.
1: Okay, okay. So what I've learned over the years of importing, you know, I remember one time, it was so funny, uh, one of my customers uh, down here in Tampa, I had gotten in these um, lobophilias from Australia. Actually, we now know them that they are acanthastery pachyceptus. Um, but it, they had these purple spots all over them. And I'm like, what is this? I dipped them and they were inside yeah. the coral in the tissue oh. and I'm going what the heck well I didn't even realize that until I'm like talking to my one customer who's a freak about crazy weird stuff and I'm like dude you gotta <laughs> check out this freaking coral dude it's got these purple spots all <laughs> over it and he's like what I'm like it's all orange bright green center purple spots throughout the whole thing and no dip is removing them you know and I'm not paying attention enough to them to, to find that they're actually moving what well, long story short he figured out that they eventually come out the mouth and leave the coral and you can remove them that way. But the only way you can remove them that way is if you have them in a separate type quarantine system, that is water from the system that got lights over it and everything. And you put, um, you put uh, you know power, it's like a regular system and you let the coral act normal. And when you see them outside on the outer, outside of the tissue and not inside, that was when he would put in a heavy iodine yeah. or a heavy, a heavy so you dose to, of something that would irritate him. To knock you'd him have off. to
0: treat them while the coral is uh, in full bloom.
1: Exactly. Mm. So you can get rid of the r- r- get rid of that on your ghani, but you're going to have to set up a. I mean, if you have a ten gallon tank sitting there that you can keep the temperature, you know, from fluctuating tons or you know getting too cold or too warm, and then just let it act normal, and then put in. I think he even told me that flatworm exit
0: worked on those. Yeah, I've tried a, a couple of different things, and uh, I've tried like tripling the amount of time that I, you know, had the coral in the dip and all that yeah. stuff, and they just the tentacles just suck into the skeleton and protect the, uh, the flatworms. So they're so Makes they're sense. on
1: the oral disk on the oral disc of the polyp, not on the on, they're the, on, the, te- they're on stem? the. They're on
0: the stems. They're, the, they're on the stems. They're on the tentacles. Oh, they're on yeah. the stems.
1: So do you know if they're inside the uh, no, coral or the they outside? They're the
0: coral? on the outside of the coral.
1: They're on the outside yeah. of the coral. Okay. So My, my theory is then, that,
0: you know, they're on the outside of the coral, but when that ghani is pulled out of the water, those tentacles retract, protecting exactly. the uh, flower.
1: You ran into the exact same problem with ghaniaporas, and we, we have more of a problem with the ghaniaporas that come out of Australia than anywhere else with having, you know, we found uh, ganiapora eating nudibranchs that you can't tell the difference between a polyp and a nudibranch. You know? <laughs> Wait, the whole colony's closed up, but that one
0: spot, <laughs>
1: why is that polyp not closing? <laughs> You know, we get a little pick, you know, and Oh, Oh, it's dead underneath it too. Cause he ate the polyp that he was on top of it mimicking. Um, it's pretty wild how nature works, yeah. isn't it? But, um, uh, we, we figured out how to get rid of them. And it's exactly what I just said. Just take a 10 gallon tank, you know, put a little bit of water into it, put, give it this environment where it's going to be happy up. and then put your, put your flat one mix it or whatever in there. And that will, you know, irritate them and it will yeah. fall off. Um, and it did take us a while to, to get them all completely off. But Pierre with the loat, with the, I can septa. It took him forever and a day. He's like, I'm still trying to get these stupid purple dots out of my damn coral. <laughs> but it was a flatworm. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean,
0: there's like tons of flatworms that there's, there's a lot of flatworms you can't even see, you know, you got to put them under a microscope, coral under a microscope. You see like a little flatworm bug bugging around, but they're yeah. not, uh, not all of them are harmful to uh, the corals, you know? So that's, that's part exactly. of the game. But, um,
1: it's when they've come like like proportions like those planarias that we call that we know as flatworms that everybody hates that are photosynthetic and they just multiply, yeah. multiply, and multiply, knock on wood. I've never had smuggled. those
0: suckers, but man, that <laughs> would suck.
1: I see there's now things on every single ship. All right, every single, yeah, ship.
0: I bet. I bet you've seen a lot of stuff. All right, dude. Well, listen, man, I think, um, I think we're going to start wrapping this thing up and, um, all right. Chris, met. we're not
1: going to go for another 12 minutes. It'll beat the time. The last time
0: <laughs> we can, we can do that. <laughs> hey, you what you want to, you want to, I, uh, uh I can go no. for, a, I'm I mean, go this. for another 12 minutes, uh, blue reef. You can see the passion. <laughs> Chris loves his job. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> well, what else uh, do we want to talk about here? I mean, um, any, uh, you know,
1: anything
0: you want to end on?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I think if, if people start embracing the pH of their aquariums and not chasing their alkalinity in their aquariums, that they'll start realizing that this hobby isn't necessarily a money pit. Um, uh, I grew up and didn't have a whole lot and, um, you know, it strived me to be better and, you know, with that being said, I learned the value of a dollar a long time ago, and you know I'm I'm very very fortunate that we've been able to do ACI the way we've done it because you know of my wife's full and total support and um, my passion and my drive and her passion and her drive and my kids you know enjoying it all the support we get from our um, customers is is um, a big driving factor for for what we do but. What I'm, what my point is is there's a lot of ways to to, to reef to, to to maintain your aquarium, you know, and I'm not trying to sound like the bad guy here when it comes down to um, companies that are marketing, you know, additives that go in their aquariums, but you know they're doing exactly that. They're marketing additives that need to go into your aquariums because you need to have them for these animals to stay alive. And my my whole thing with reefing is it's a hell of a lot simpler than what some of this stuff that is on the market makes it out to be Mm. um you know if you do it in a simple way by boosting your ph with calcium hydroxide or kalkwasser you get your carbonates from your kalkwasser um in a high demand system like keith's fully dominated SPS tank, he needs to have a calcium reactor on there to, to help make up for the demand that the calc cannot put into your aquarium. But I, I could afford back when we were doing a different method, we could afford $1,500 a month for calcium reactor media, CO2, um, occasional alkalinity buffing, um, all the other aspects is $1,500 a month is what the company had to spend to maintain. Um, at that point in time, it was five coral systems. We now have seven coral systems. With boosting my pH, just just the pH boosting alone cut that $1,500 a month down to less than $100 a yeah,
0: month. Yeah, that's big. That's and big, man.
1: Participating. So, My point with all this is, is everybody's got their ways of doing things. There's a lot of people out there in this country that cannot afford a reef aquarium. And it's not because of the maintaining of the aquarium with all that needs to be done to keep it so that the corals are alive. It has a lot to do with the cost of the corals. So if you can save money, on maintaining these animals and helping them thrive instead of just survive. I think that speaks volumes. And, you know, I don't know how big my president presence is in the reefing world. I, I try to be as humble as I can be, but I also try to only put out the things that we've learned from all the experiences that we've had with, very large coral systems. And, you know, it, this can all be incorporated into small coral systems as well. And it's just doing the math to do it. And I can help people with it. But if people are skeptical about dosing kalkwasser, be skeptical about it. If you want to learn how to save money and to make your corals truly thrive in your aquarium from all that we've done in the past to what we're doing now, it's an amazing thing that we're seeing with boosting the pH of our systems. And now that we're tweaking our trace elements and we have the ability to be able to do that, it's going to make things so much easier for that guy that has a job that cannot afford an aquarium, but maybe now can because he's not spending a hundred bucks a month on additives and he can spend a hundred bucks a month on corals for his kids to be happy. You know, that's, that's really the whole point of ACI aquaculture is I was a hobbyist at one point. I couldn't afford a Steve Tyree frag at $110 and I wanted that SPS frag so bad. And I'm like, I know I can do this better so that people can afford these things and nothing against Steve. Cause he grew that stuff. You know, I, I respect it. I get it, but I I'm, I'm trying to make it even easier and more affordable for people to afford. So with that being said, boost your suppressed pH, your calls will thank you for it. And Keith can attest to that as well, and I've got many other people that can attest to it. And you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, this live chat because I sure did. And I know I could go on for hours, um, but um, it is about two hours into it. It's time to get going.
0: Well, the record is uh, you, me, and Jake. We talked for about two hours and thirty seven minutes, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're That's gonna right. we're gonna fall short of that. But you know what? We'll uh, right. maybe we'll uh, get uh, both you guys back on uh, in a few months, and we'll uh, maybe we'll try to break the record. Uh, then we get uh, Mr. Man, Adams I'm on. all
1: for it. I'm ready to do it whenever you guys are ready to do it. We have to start at 6 o'clock again instead of 7.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You guys want to start at 6 o'clock. I'm like, why are we doing that? It's we Because you knew like I'm like, <laughs> bedtime for me is like... <laughs>
1: she even knows it's time <laughs> to go. My, my main coon
0: yeah, love it. cutie. Cutie. All right, dude. Well, listen, man, thank you so much, Chris, for uh, for taking time again to uh, the to chat with us. I always learn something, man, when I'm talking to you. And I always uh, even though like this is recording a live stream, I'm, I'm taking notes, you know,
1: <laughs> I'll watch it over again, too, because I'm sure I miss some things. You know, I learned from you, too, Keith. I learned from everybody's questions. Um, you know, I enjoy doing these types of things. And, uh, you know, I'll do it anytime you're ready to do it, buddy. And thank you for asking me and having me. on. So,
0: uh, folks, if you want to get your hands on some of these awesome ACI aquaculture corals, reach out to your LFS and ask them to reach out to Chris and his, uh, his team because uh, that, that way you can get your hands on some beautiful corals that uh, you know are um, really taken care of and, and just are totally amazing. So, please do that if, if you want to um, add some of these gems to your tanks. I've, uh, I've got a few of those gems in my tanks and uh, I am digging them, Chris. They're awesome. You know, I, I lost a couple of pieces, but uh, by and large, the majority of them are thriving. And I got I got some favorites that uh...
1: well, tell them why you lost a couple pieces. It's because you're strict in your quarantine and doesn't matter who you get it from. You still go through your same quarantine process. And that is one of the reasons why your SPS tanks have been so successful, because you never steer away from that. And complacency will bite you in the ass in the long run. And believe me, it does to me. I'm sure it does to everybody. But as a reef, somebody that has a reef tank, listen to Keith. Yeah, you got to You got You got to quarantine.
0: You got to <laughs> just really be very diligent about that stuff because pests can just freaking mess you up, and and yes, and uh, that that would put a, a frown on my face. So, all right, dude. Well, listen. Happy uh, holidays to you and Amanda and the rest of your family, as well as the rest of the team at ACI Aquaculture. You, and uh, folks, that's gonna do it for this show. Happy holidays to everybody out there that's been uh, tuning in and watching Rapping with Reef Bum. This is the, uh, the last stream of the year and I appreciate all the support. You folks have been given the, uh, the stream, please uh, spread the word. I also appreciate the sponsors, Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine for uh, being uh, supportive as well and um, hey, if you folks want to catch replays of this, not only on YouTube but these Wrapping uh, With Reef Bums are also available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So. My next live stream will be in 2022 on Thursday, January 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Randy Donowitz from Reece.com. And Randy ha- happened to be my Ooh. first guest ever on this show about a year nice. and a half ago or something like nice. that. So we're going to have Randy back on and, and looking really forward to, uh, to having that conversation. All right, Chris, be safe, be well, man. Everybody else out there, the same to you, and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you guys for watching and happy uh, holiday season to everybody as well.